1: Remember, if you or a loved one has a gambling problem, call one 800 gambler four seven, or go to HelpMyGamblingProblem.org for free
0: confidential services. A, a- warm and friendly love. Welcome to Love Me, Las Vegas. For Go's to Go Soup's with myself, Guy Spears, and now part of the VC and Family Podcast and got a great podcast for you. It's in the second segment we're going to be joined by Jeff Parles. He does a great job over there at VEASAN. Hosts the VEASAN Bet Center on the weekends. Helps out with a numbers game with Gil Alexander every Monday through Friday holding it down there. In the second segment we're going to be chatting with him about just the meltdowns that we've seen in general in college basketball over these last few days. How strange it is and then we're going to be turning it forward. Some of the games that we're going to be seeing on Friday we did wind up recording this right around 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific so didn't wind up having. Having all the hate in the barn with regards to all these games, but we did wind up having quite a few of them. So we're gonna be diving into as many as possible in the second segment, then in the final segment, gonna give you guys picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some big shots first things first. Always do love to be able to answer Twitter questions on this podcast. And if you got one or two ways we offer those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at your 41 one Keep in mind letters yeah, me does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you're able to find whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast via that five-star review. Most of what I wound up getting in was people asking what in the world wound up happening with Team X, Team Y. Unfortunately, I've only got really like 15 minutes for the recap today just because after I wind up doing this recap, I'm going to be recording the last part of the podcast because you've got a lot of games that wind up going down late we have to be determined matchups until they wind up being all sorted out i need to get this up at midnight so conundrums conundrums so unfortunately recap is going to be a little bit shorter but let's take a look back at everything that we wind up seeing on thursday in college basketball try to find some trends try to get to know these seems a little bit better games from yesterday is greg buzzing about here is the rowdy recap i am doing this with things pending you wind up having 61 games in college basketball 57 and one final. As I'm doing this, favorites have won 29 and 28 against this spread. And right now, you're seeing the under hitting with 30 of them, 27 overs. I don't think that there have been any pushes. I might be mistaken on that, but that's where we sit right now. This has been all over the place with regards to college basketballs. You wind up just seeing... A lot of interesting stuff out there in the MAC tournament at Salito. A 17 point favorite, very nearly lost outright to Central Michigan. Central Michigan. Gave it their best effort, but Toledo gets the job done by kind of 72 to 71, a top 20 team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. Is Toledo, and what you want to be really noting with Toledo is that this is a team that they've been one of your best against the spread teams at all of college basketball top 10, cover eight, covering two thirds of their games. So this was a little bit surprising, but they do wind up surviving and advancing out there. A team that it looked like they were becoming a little bit more trustworthy, but they've really been lighting your money on fire all season long, and they wind up doing so once again on Thursday. That'd be Michigan. They just completely wound up pooping the bet on this one as they were up by 17 points in the late first half, early second half, and they wind up losing to Indiana by kind of 74 to 69. This is a Michigan team that they should be in the NCAA tournament. I wouldn't necessarily feel as secure about that anymore because it's a Michigan team that, if you take a look at them against the spread, just have not been great. 13 and 18 against the spread, so that was a relative issue. You take a look at Indiana, 8 of 15 from three-point range. The guy that was really able to go off, that would be Trace Jackson Davis. 24 points, 8 boards, 4 blocks. Meanwhile, for Michigan, they did wind up going 19 and 21 at the free line, but a team that ranks outside the top 200 with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis did not wind up coming through year. Hunter Dickinson, relatively solid game, 15 points, 5 boards, and Musa Diabate was able to give you 12 rebounds, but it was just a really sad performance from Michigan towards the second half of that contest. If you're looking for a team that really has not been able to make you money all season long and now their season's over, that'd be Miami of Ohio. They close out the year 9-20 against the spread. They lose to Kent State by kind of 85-75, and Kent State, by the way, if you're looking for teams that have gone streaking, they have now won 13 straight games against 18 that at the beginning part of the season, they were just not covering games in general. Now it's a team has is 16-11 and 2 against the spread, and in conference play, they've got a top 10 mark with regards to against the spread record. A team that has been relatively buttoned down was able to get a lot of scoring in this game as they were able to have sincere carry. Do a great job at the playing card spot. Guy that wound up giving you 15 points, 8 assists, 4 boards, Malik Jacobs, 21 points, 11 boards. So Kent State, they survived in advance out there in the MAC tournament. If you're looking at a team that has been very good to the under all season long, zot, zot for the Anteaters, but that wound up not being the case as UC Irvine. They wound up losing to UC Santa Barbara by kind count of 78-69. to 69. It's a Santa Barbara team that they wound up getting off to a relatively rough start to the year, but you take a look at what they been able to do down the stretch, and it has been relatively terrific. Depending on closing numbers, they've been able to cover either 5 out of their last 6 games, or all of them. It's a Santa Barbara team that went set of a 12 from 3-point range. You wound up having a 404 3-point shooting performance out of Igir, Sanai, who's been averaging right around 9.5 points per contest. He chipped in their 20 points at Amandu. So, 21 points, 16 rebounds. So, the Gauchos, they were able to get the job done. Kelsey Fullerton has been interesting as well out there in the Big West. They got the job done by kind of 73 to 55. If you've been a fan of Texas it has been a relatively rough year for you and TCU they continue to exceed expectations 65 to 60 that is a final that would be stunning of itself Texas Christian now 18-10 and 3 against the spread. Texas, by the way, twelve nineteen 19 and 1 against the spread, but with that said, what well, made it even more sunny? Texas got up in this game by 20 and then just made like your buddy at the bar and could not close as Texas 8-22 from 3-point range. You had Marcus Carr give the team 7 points while falling out. That was on SC2. Terrific for TCU. They did a good job of being able to control the ball and they won the battle on the glass by kind of 38-31 to 31 TCU, a top 10 team with regards to rebound rate. Emmanuel Miller, 9 points, 12 12 rebounds in this one. Eddie Lampkin wanted to chip in in their nine boards as well. And then Mike Miles along Damian Baugh. We were able to combine for 30 points. TCU team that typically isn't great from three-point range winds up going five of 13 from three-point range to be able to get the job done there. Baylor, they wind up taking a little bit of an upset. Oklahoma, 72 to 67. They get the win over a Baylor team that you tell that they were missing Jonathan Chacho in this game. They get out rebounded by a count of 35 to 34 in Oklahoma. They just flat out made shots. 11 of 21 from three-point range. You wind up having the Groves brothers be able to combine for 20 points in this one, but Jacob Groves, really the lesser of the two, he wound up having 15 points, 9 boards and went 3 of 5 from three-point range. And the bench of Oklahoma wound up going to combine 4 of 5 from Three-point range with being able to get 12 points out of Marvin Johnson, so that was rather surprising. Kansas they wind up laying it on West Virginia by kind of 87 to 63, and if you like me, wind up thinking that the under was a relatively good play here. Boy, oh boy, that was absolutely brutal. You wind up having 31 points in the final six minutes of what was a 23-point blowout, so that was not necessarily great. I think that you wind up having like 27 points in the final five minutes, so. Boy, oh boy, that was one in which you just sit there, you shrug your shoulders, and you move on. It is going to be Wyoming who's going to be moving on in the Mountain West Tournament as they were able to get the job done against UNLV, sapping a 19-game losing streak in the city of Nevada as they were able to get the win. 59-56. to It's a Wyoming team that, if you watch the game, they did not wind up getting the calls whatsoever. Hunter Maldonado, he was able to go off for 11 points, 5 assists before falling out and then Graham Ike was able to do his part. 11 points, 13 rebounds. Maldonado did not wind up falling out, I should say, but he did have Wyoming have 17 turnovers in this game. UNLV had just 8, but UNLV lost the battle on the glass. 45 to 29. So, UNLV, they might be heading to some sort of a postseason tournament, but it's not going to be the NCAA tournament. Colorado State, they're going to be looking to make the NCAA tournament. They wind up taking down Utah State by a count of 53-51. to 51. Late bucket by Chandler Jacobs was able to push Colorado State to victory as Utah State one of 15 from three-point range in this one, so that was relatively awful. Out there in the Big Ten, what else was relatively awful was Ohio State's late performance against Penn State. Ohio State winds up losing in this game by a count of 71-68. to 68. They wound up getting up by double digits and then from there they wound up having a good old classic melt job as Penn Penn State, they were able to go 6 of 19 from 3-point range. The guy that really was able to lead them, Sam Sessions. Really, he and Miles Dredd off the bench. They combined 30 points out of these two gentlemen. They combined to go 4 of 6 from 3-point range. Meanwhile, for Ohio State, they go 7 of 18 from 3-point range. E.J. Liddell, once again, did his part. 25 points, 8 boards, but not necessarily the world's greatest effort there. And if you're looking at this Penn State team, they've been one of the better teams to the under out there in all of college basketball. This one certainly was one that wound up getting played to the over. But overall, Penn State... 10 overs, 19 unders on the season, so that's right around a 65.5% clip. If you're looking at another team that's been playing a bunch of unders, that'd be South Florida. I don't think that you're going to be taking any more with them, but they wound up getting home another under against Central Florida. 60-58, Central Florida Barely able to get the job done in a game which offense was relatively grody in this one. As Central Florida, they were able to go 10 of 22 from three point range, but they wound up losing the rebound battle by kind of 49 to 36. South Florida had their chances, but they only shot 35 percent from Florida. has been a big bugaboo for them all season long. So Central Florida able to survive in advance. Wichita State, their season might wind up being done as they wind up losing by kind of 73 to 69 to Tulsa for Tulsa 7 20 from three point range, and they've been able to get hot at the right time. Jeroya Horn. 17 points, 10 boards, so they're able to survive in advance. Cincinnati has been a rather intriguing team as well. They were able to get the job done against East Carolina. This by a count of 74-63 to 63. Cincinnati. A team has been a little bit all over the map with regards to their results, but they were able to put on a nice run, and they became actually the first favorite of the day to be able to cover a spread so I thought that that was a little bit hilarious what else has been really hilarious is just watching Syracuse all season long with their inconsistencies to say the least but they were able to get a cover against Duke 88-79 to the final it's been a Duke team has been very up and down with being able to cover as this is a team that if you take a look at things they have been able to cover just two out of their last six games and it's been a team that's been relatively rock solid to the over as they have played I believe now each out of their last four games of the over. It's a Duke bunch that has been able to get quite a bit of production down low out of Mark Williams that he was able to do it once again in this one. 15 points, 16 rebounds of what kept Syracuse aboard in this game. 13 of 31, three-point shooting for them as Jimmy Bam, 28 points, seven boards. Unfortunately, his brother could not wind up being out there. And Samir Torrance has not seen a lot of action, 11 assists at two turnovers. So that was very intriguing to take a look at that from Duke. A Duke team that has been able to do a relatively solid job, of be able to get their offense going. The defense has been a little bit more suspect for this team. If you're looking for a team that has been very good to the overall season long, that would be the Minutemen of UMass, and they're going to try to cash you another over on Friday, as they were able to get the job done out there in the Atlantic 10 tournament 99 to 88 they take down George Washington as they wind up going 12-29 for 3-point range. TJ Weeks, he was very strong with 15 points in this one. Trent Butterick, 13 points, 16 rebounds. And for George Washington, 8-of-18 Eight for 3-point range, Joe Bezmiel was able to give you 25 points, but it is the men of UMass that wind up being able to survive and advance. A team that has been relatively solid just all season long in general, being able to make you a little bit of money is Fordham, and they wind up getting an outright win against George Mason, 54-49 to the final. Fordham now, by the way, in the top 50 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis as Shuba Ohms, 20 points and 16 rebounds so he was able to put the team on his back in that one. Iowa has been one of your better over teams this season and really a solid cover team as well. They winded completely just dismounting on Northwestern, 112 and 76 the final for Iowa. They winded going in this one 19 of 29 from 3 Pirates. They won the rebound battle 45 to 18 as you wound up having Keegan Murray of 26 points. 18 rebounds. For that matter, the two Murrays wound up nearly out-rebounding Northwestern all by themselves, and then you wound up having this Northwestern team go just 5-10 at the free throw line. It was just not a good effort whatsoever from the Wildcats, so that pretty much ends their season. Maryland, they tried to come back against Michigan State. This had the possibility of being an absolutely brutal beat as Michigan State winds up getting up in this game by 19 points with about 12 minutes remaining. 76-72. to 72, Michigan State laying about 2-2.5 two to two and a half points. They're able to get the job done, especially Michigan State team has been a little bit all over the place this season, but they wind up going 9-19 from three-point range to be able to get the job done in this one out there in the ACC tournament. We've been seeing some very intriguing action out there. At Boston College, they wound up getting three covers in three days. They very nearly take down Miami, but they wind up losing 71-69 to in overtime. Miami, by the way, a team that if you're looking at some of your top over teams in all of college basketball, they've been able to do a solid job with that aspect as... They have now played 19 out of their 32 games to the over for Miami. 6 of 19 from 3-part range, but what really got it done for them was the fact that they were able to create 8 steals. Boston College was also able to do a solid job on glass, playing even up like on 28-28. to 28, Boston College deserves all the credit in the world for this run, but will wound up being able to get Miami to the window in this one, Charlie Moore, Camagussi. It combined 31 points between the two of them. You wound up having more. Give you six assists. They combined for three seals. So Miami, they're able to survive in advance. Virginia Tech was able to as well. Eighty seven to eighty. They wind up taking down Notre Dame. Got a feeling Notre Dame's NCAA tournament hopes. Those are on the fritz a little bit. As you got a Virginia Tech team that they went seven of nineteen from three point range. Kevy Aluma was able to chip in their twenty points. And Virginia Tech, a bottom twenty team with regards to tempo. And that's by that I mean, total possessions sprain. They were able to get just enough offense to be able to get it done in this one. Out there in the Pac-12 tournament, we wound up seeing an injury to Kukriza as he, the Arizona Wildcats, you gotta figure, are gonna be without him in the Pac-12 semifinal, but they're able to get by Sanford by a count of 84 to 80 as Sanford, 11 of 20 from 3-point range. They only turned the ball over 12 times in this one. And for Arizona, we wound up being able to spring them. Christian Coloco going to Loco. He and Ben Mather combined 44 points for Coloco. 9 boards. He also dish out for assists. He wound up having Kreese play 33 minutes. He wound up getting out of this game late, so you got to figure that Dalen Terry is going to be seeing some more minutes along probably Justin Kyer in the next contest for Arizona. 9-24 for three-point range. Offense was there. Defense really was not very uncharacteristic of Arizona, but they were able to survive in advance in that one. Colorado, they wound up being able to take down Oregon by a count of 80-69. to 69. It's an Oregon team that got to figure that they're going to be on the wrong side of the bubble as Colorado. They were able to do a solid job with Jabari Walker and Evan Batty combining for 37 points and 28 rebounds. It's a Colorado team that has actually been the top three-point shooting team ever since Pac-12 play has begun, so that has been very intriguing out there in the Pac-12, not overall, but a team that has been very solid out there in the Pac-12 as well. That'd be UCLA. UCLA has actually been a little bit more of an under team recently, but they wound up playing an over against Washington State. 75-65 to the final for Washington State, by the way. 12 overs, 18 unders, and 2 pushes. For UCLA, this is a bunch that they have now played 14 overs and 15 unders, but for UCLA, they were able to have Jaime Hawkins really be able to take over this game. 23 points. You do want to be noting that with Johnny Juzang, didn't necessarily look great in this game. He wound up having 6 points and 3 turnovers. Wound up going 3 of 8 from floor. Looked rather pedestrian, but certainly a UCLA team that was able to overcome that with Mr. Hawkins being able to do his part. And for Washington State, they wound up going just 8 of 29 from 3 by were without Mohammed Gay in this one, so if they wound up making the NCAA tournament or a different tournament, that is something that you do want to be taking note of. You always want to be taking note of just these intriguing results that we're getting in general as well on Villanova. They wind up barely being able to get the job done against St. John's by a count of 66-65. to 65. Villanova, a bottom 30 team with regards to Temple, had been really playing a lot of offers prior to this game, but they wind up going just 9-29 for three-point range, but what was able to spring them to victory, 17-20 at the free-throw line. Villanova, number one team in all of college basketball in terms of free-throw shooting percent. You want to be noting that if you're putting together just some money line bets in general on some favorites. I'm not personally some of that lays chalk with regards to favorites, but if you are, you feel a little bit better about Villanova than, say, a team like Boise State who wanted to being able to survive in advance as they shoot right around 65% at the free line. So be keeping that in your back pocket. you got to be keeping in your back pocket as well. What North Carolina is currently doing. They might have taken down Virginia 63-43 to as Virginia they wind up going 34.9 percent from 4-4 four, four of 9 at the charity stripe. And for North Carolina, all of a sudden, they've been able to figure just a little bit of something out as this has been a team that has now been able to cover each out of their last four contests. I believe that they have now covered five out of their last six as well. And for North Carolina, they wind up going just 6-23 of 23 from 3-part range, but Brady Manick, 21 points in this one. Armando Bayco, another double-double, 10 points, 11 rebounds. So, North Carolina gets the job done as does UConn. They are able to take down Seton Hall, 62-52. For Seton Hall, they wind up being able to do an okay job of being able to hit a couple threes. They went 7 of 19 for three-point range mile scale. 17.6 boards, 3 3 from 3 Pyrange, but for UConn, they win the battle on the glass by kind of 46 33. They also did a solid job with seven blocks in this game. Isaiah Willie wound up having four of them. Adama Sunoko, he was able to make this team a go go with 11 rebounds, so it's been a season all team that certainly has been a little bit herky jerky, and I would say it has been a little bit herky jerky as well, and they just could not get any offense against Texas Tech. 72 to 41, the final Texas Tech, a top 10 team in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Didn't need a lot to be able to get the job done in this one. Terrence Shannon provided 15 of them. And Friday was a 5 of 25 from 3 Pirates for a team that had scored 16 plus points in 5 other last 7 games. So I mean, we're seeing some very interesting action right now in college basketball. Had to be a little bit more brief on the recap today but that's what we wound up seeing in college basketball on Thursday. Now let's turn it forward to Friday. Let's take a look at Just the thoughts of Jeff Parles with regards to some of these meltdowns that we've seen as well as they've hurt me quite a bit. I know that you've been the beneficiaries and the deficitaries of quite a few of those as well. So we're going to bring in our buddy Jeff Parles. He does a great job with VSIN. and if you're looking for a little bit more this March Madness, we do have you covered with a little bit of everything at VSIM because with regards to being able to get all access to us, all the video, everything that you want, With regards to what we provide, it is just $19 from now until the wrap-up of the NCAA tournament. That will be April 7th. By going to vcin.com slash madness, you're able to get this great offer. And with that, you're able to stream the Greg Peterson experience. We've got the College Hoops betting guide that's going to be out on Tuesday, previewing all 68 teams giving you advice on being able to separate the Cinderella's from the first round bus, We've got you covered against the spread. We've got you covered with regards to filling out your brackets. So we've got you covered with a little bit of everything. And coming up next, we've got you covered with a great chat with Jeff Parles. Right here on Go Suits with myself, Greg Eason, now part of the Deason Family Podcast. Vegas We're just with myself, Greg Hughes, and now part of the Veasan Family Podcast, and it is great to be joined by our guest as Jeff Parles does absolutely amazing work over there at Veasan. You're able to catch him on the Veasan Bet Center, that is typically Saturday night. I know that we've got some special programming that's going to be coming up this weekend, but you're always able to catch Jeff on the weekends there. And then when it comes to Monday through Friday, he's helping out Gil Alexander on a numbers game. Guy does absolutely amazing work across all sports, and I'm sure that he, much like myself, very happy that we're going to be getting a baseball season, but now it's the heart of college basketball season, and to be able to follow Jeff on Twitter, that is that his name, Jeff Parles, that is Jeff with a J, not a G-E, and then Parles is spelled P-A-R-L-E-S, and Jeff, great to have you aboard. Thank you.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I don't know if you're rebranding the baseball podcast too, Greg. I know you'll be ready to go, and you actually... You caught a break by a delayed start. You actually, a national championship game, the first Monday of April, baseball opening day, the first Thursday of April. You don't even have to cross over this year, Greg.
0: Nope, not at all. And plus, typically during the final week of the college basketball season, when you've got the final four, let's call it what it is, it doesn't take 40 hours to handicap like two games. So that is going to be a nice little break to be able to prepare for the baseball season. But now we're preparing for March. And Jeff, we talked about this off air and it's just something that we're noticing in general. It just feels like there's been more meltdowns than ever before in college basketball. And I do think that it's very important to just try to keep things in line when it comes to this, not necessarily get just too frustrated, not go on tilt or anything like that, because it has been one of the wildest last few days I've seen in quite a long time. I'll tell you this, Greg,
1: I'm a lot more disciplined than I've been in the past, but losing and there have been endless amount of these over these last two days. Losing Arizona State on Wednesday, not only did I have them laying the points, I had them in a bunch of Moneyline parlays where naturally they were the only leg that ended up losing. But it's not only them. I mean, you had Texas. I mean, Texas, what they did, again, sure. just showing how it all flips around. I had TCU plus five and a half. I had no business winning that. And TCU wins the game outright despite being down 20 plus. It's conference tournament time. You get weird things all the time in conference tournaments, but AB prisoner in a moment. But this really feels like we have had an excessive amount of just epic, epic melts so far early in this conference tournament season. I didn't even mention Virginia Tech, who melted and then had the dramatic moment at the end of overtime with the game winning three pointer at the buzzer against Clemson. It's conference tournament time. You're right. Don't tilt. If you tilt this week, what are you going to do next week when you're down to the NCAA tournament? And you know those are going to be the sharpest lines that you're going to see all year. So it's obviously a little bit harder to beat the NCAA tournament than it is to beat this week when, again, we had a day with 61 games on Thursday. The bookmakers are good. We know this, but they can't be attuned to everything, Greg.
0: Yep, I am right there with you. I do think that it is really important to be able to just keep things in mind that if you wind up having a couple bad beats, like I wound up having Texas, I wound up having Arizona State, I had the under in both Boston College games that wound oh up going over and over time. I mean, I'm able to go down the list. I wound up having LSU, I wound up having the under in West Virginia versus Kansas. I Keep was coming. Under in- <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll stop ranting right about now because we've got a rap sheet for over the last two days, but I mean, it's one of those things where you have to realize that these things do wind up ironing out if you wind up putting in the work. So I think that that's important to take a look at it. When it comes to taking a look at these conference tournaments, for Friday, because we are doing this right around, I would say, about 7 o'clock p.m. Pacific, so we've still got some matchups that are pending, but when it comes to what we're going to be getting on Friday, I am very intrigued by a lot of the action, and I do think that when it comes to the Big Ten tournament, we've got some very good ones. You've got Wisconsin versus Michigan State, Indiana, Illinois, along with Iowa versus Rutgers, and I really feel like all three of these games are going to be super close games. If I'm liking a favorite right now, it certainly is Illinois against Indiana. But I think that this Big Ten tournament is going to be one of the most wide open and one of the most just tightly contested in general across the board.
1: Yeah, Greg, are you a little bit surprised that Illinois opened three and a half against Indiana, which is the same number that Michigan ended up closing against Indiana? That didn't make any sense to me. And and look, I very rarely bet overnights. I like to just see how the market settles and go from there. But I actually laid three and a half in Illinois already against Indiana. If you want to tell me that Illinois and Michigan are equal in your power rankings, all right, you're telling me your power ratings are wrong. I didn't understand that enough. I'm seeing four and a half now in Illinois. I still think that's too short still on the Illini I think you just take so much out of you with the type of comeback that Indiana had again I forgot I got to mention Michigan in the melt because that was another one I won on see you remember oh. the melts that you lost on not the ones that you won on Greg. and
0: Michigan. I had Michigan
1: yeah yeah <laughs> like, like that's another one you are right. Wide open tournament. I liked Purdue pre-tournament. I didn't bet them to win the tournament because they were the short shot. I wanted about a dollar more than what they were going off at. So I didn't bother taking that. But I'll be intrigued to see how Purdue looks. And then the other two matchups, Michigan State-Wisconsin, I want nothing to do with. I want to see how Johnny Davis looks after suffering that injury on Sunday against Nebraska. He is going to go, it looks like, against Michigan State. So I want to see how Davis looks. And then Rutgers-Iowa is interesting. Greg, that number, that was seven what I saw at the opener. I know Iowa's played very well recently, probably the best they've played all year. That feels a little steep, doesn't it? And I know the last meeting between these teams was a 48-46 rock fight that Rutgers won at the rack, but that feels like a lot of points for a team that seemingly stays in every game. I know Iowa's playing great right now, but I probably would look to taking with Rutgers and just hoping that they can keep the game close and they don't get run out like Northwestern did this afternoon, giving up uh, uh, 112 points in a partridge in a pear tree.
0: Shock, shock, surprise, surprise. We won't be seeing Northwestern in the NCAA tournament. Where have we seen this song and dance before? But <laughs> with that said, when it comes to this Rutgers versus Iowa game, I want to say my number at seven. I saw a couple seven-ass. Okay earlier and I think that that's actually really good value even at the 7 I would much rather take the points with Rutgers at 7 rather than lay them with Iowa. I think that's really going to be interesting to see what we wind up getting from a tempo standpoint as well because when it comes to Iowa you mentioned it, they wanted up playing that 48-46 to game against Rutgers the first time around. But I mean, really, other than that game and the games that they want to play against Penn State, they've gotten their tempo in every single contest. They're coming off of scoring over 110 points, and it makes it very fascinating when it comes to these back-to-backs because when you wind up seeing a team come out like that, you have one of two inklings. One is that maybe they're going to be a little bit tired. Maybe they're going to be a little bit more worn down after scoring so many points. But then the other way to look at it as well is that they're building momentum and they're able to carry it through. I'm not sure where you wind up standing on the fence with that, but I always think that that's really intriguing to toy with just because you're able to take one of two real mentalities with it.
1: Well, I mean, isn't that the best when it's a contrast to style, Greg? It really just depends on how you handicap. It was on Rutgers in that game at the rack, and that was as bad of a game to watch as there was all year. But look, just going back to this, and again, you're going to see this, and take this for next week too, Greg. There's a team in CUSA, North Texas Mean Green, who if you're listening, you remember them from last year where they beat Purdue in the NCAA tournament. It was a 13-over-4. I was stunned that Purdue lost that game in overtime, especially the way that it happened, but especially when you're dealing with teams that are ridiculously slow tempo-wise, Greg, I don't know about you, do you usually see when it's a fast versus slow tempo that unless if the talent on the fast team is significantly better, the slow team usually wins out? in a tempo battle like that.
0: Yep. I do think that it's a little bit easier to slow down a fast team there than speed up a slow team. Unless your name is Charleston or the Citadel and they always just get their tempo.
1: Yeah. 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 Look, the Citadel, the Citadel overs and VMI overs for that matter were fun. Also Samford too, but no look, Greg, it's again, it's, it's something that you got to keep in mind and you will inevitably see this in the NCAA tournament. There will be a game between two fast tempo teams and you'll see a 158 as a total. And people will get scared because, oh, my God, how can a college game get into the 80s on both sides? Well, that's because you're probably looking at a 70 possession game, a 75 possession game potentially. So, uh, again, keep in mind, you have to know what you're dealing with team by team, of course, tempo-wise. And, again, that's why an Iowa Rutgers game later today is really fascinating. Contrast the style. And, and of course, Rutgers needs the game. If they win the game... They're definitely in the NCAA tournament. If they lose, I still think they're in, but they're going to be sweating bullets on Sunday as opposed to really not sweating at all if they beat Iowa for a second time.
0: I do agree with you there, as we do have Jeff Parles of Easton joining me on the podcast. And when it comes to what we've got right now on the board for Friday, the game that I'm really looking at and the thing that I think is going to have the biggest NCAA tournament implications and really has two teams I think could go deep in March, that'd be this LSU versus Arkansas game. Arkansas opens up right around a a one-and-a-half to a two-point favorite. And I think it's just so intriguing because LSU wound up losing both times. These teams wound up playing in the regular season, but LSU wound up holding a lead in both of those games. Both of those games were really tight, and you've got two teams that are in the top 30 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. So I think that this one is going to be just absolutely fascinating. I think that there's a good chance that LSU is going to be able to get the job done with Xavier Pinson back. This is a no play for me. I
1: was a little bit surprised that Arkansas opened one, one and a half. LSU, Pinson, like you said, very important to be in the lineup. When he was out, that was when LSU had that bad streak. When he's been in, they've been as good as anyone other than realistically Auburn and Kentucky in the SEC. I'm going to stay off of this. I, I, if you made me bet it, I'd probably just money line Arkansas at about a minus 120, minus 125 you'd probably be looking at. But in the end, I'll probably stay off and see if we can get an in-game opportunity. Assuming Alabama does not blow a double-digit lead to Vanderbilt, you're looking at four very intriguing conference uh, quarterfinals there in Tampa. The A&M-Auburn game, the way A&M plays, they could produce some problems for Auburn. Remember, that was when a and played Auburn the day the college game day was in Auburn, and Auburn really struggled for a long time to get the Aggies out of there. So I wouldn't be shocked. If you're looking for an early upset, there are a bunch of one seeds playing early in the day. I don't think Illinois is losing, like I said. I think Davidson is matches up great with Fordham in the a 10 Cincinnati's not good enough, even with the problems Houston has had lately, to realistically play with Houston. If you're looking for a potential shocker of a one seed, A&M over Auburn would probably be the most likely of one seats playing in the quarterfinals tomorrow.
0: Yep, and I think that is a case in which in that Auburn versus Texas A&M game, it could be a case in which Auburn winds up winning by 30 or they wind up losing outright. I can see it going really one of two ways because when it comes to Auburn, it's just been so intriguing to take a look at them away from the state of Alabama because when they've been at home, they've legitimately been perhaps the top team in all of college basketball on the road. They very nearly lost to Missouri and Georgia. So now that you're out there in a neutral court, I'm going to be very intrigued to see what we wind up getting out of them because even in the battle for Atlantis, they looked relatively solid in that tournament going back several months ago.
1: You're telling you tell me that losing to Georgia wouldn't have been good, Greg?
0: That wouldn't have been great, especially <laughs> considering Tom Crean has now been canned. So unfortunately, we're not, unable to just do the good old fate of Georgia as they covered like 33% of their games this year.
1: Yeah, despite being the worst team in the conference and being a massive dog in most of those games. I noticed that we, got, we have a ton of games and we got more to get to, but that hire that I thought was a pretty reasonable hire just ended up being an abject disaster. What a weird coaching career Tom Crean's going to end up having. Final four with Dwayne Wade and company and Marquette. I thought he was better than he got credit for at Indiana, even though it was time for him to go. And just ending with an absolute disaster at a program that quite frankly should not be as awful as Georgia has been since Kareem took that over.
0: Yeah, I'm right there with you. That was just absolutely terrible. And as I always like to say, Tom Kareem just rode the coattails of Dwayne Wade all the way to another. Yeah. Track. We shall see if he winds up getting another, as we do have Jeff Parles joining me on the podcast and Jeff When it comes to what we're going to be getting on Friday, obviously we've got a lot of to-be-determined matchups as we're recording this. It's just really difficult when it comes to this time of year trying to be able to project forward. But is there another game or two that we've yet to talk about because we've mostly went into the Big Ten and the SEC that is really catching your eye?
1: Yeah, let's go to some 7 o'clock Eastern tips with some one seeds in these Power 5 Conference tournaments. Duke plays Miami. I'm making sure that my screen is right here, Greg. Am I right that I'm seeing Miami is getting nine at most spots? That's a really ridiculous number for where Miami wanted Cameron Indoor earlier this year. Duke is pretty much at this point, they either show up and destroy you, or they do what they did today against Syracuse and really mess around and don't come close to cover. I would lean towards the latter here, especially since Miami got away and won in dramatic fashion against the one-hour national champion, Boston College Eagles. I think that's way too much. Even all the way down to six, six and a half, I'd be willing to play Miami. I, I think that's off by a solid three points That line. I'll take with the Canes, getting all those points. And then TCU and Kansas is interesting, because TCU's coming off the massive comeback against Texas. Kansas obliterated West Virginia, and Bob Huggins uh, getting tossed in less than 10 minutes was totally ridiculous. But <laughs> that's a different conversation for a different day. Kansas and TCU played twice last week. And TCU covered both of those games and won the game in Fort Worth. I'm getting eight on a neutral with TCU. I know that's not really a neutral since Kansas City is obviously very close to Lawrence. That is going to be a very partisan Jayhawk crowd. But eight feels like a lot to take with a very good TCU team that at this point, if they somehow beat Kansas a second time, Greg, they could be playing themselves into a sixth seed. And playing themselves way up that eight nine line where they basically have been stuck for the better portion of a month now. So, could Kansas roll them? Yeah, of course they could. They're Kansas, they're very talented. I think that's too much. I thought that's another one where I thought that should have been five and a half. So, I think Miami and TCU are going to be two of my top plays for the Friday slate, Greg.
0: Now, I do think that Kansas has a shot to be able to really get back at TCU. But Mm -hmm. with that said, on the Duke versus Miami game, I made the line Duke playing six and a half. So I'm pretty much right exactly where you are on this one. I've got a nice two and a half point differential there. So. I am in total agreement there, and we're both in agreement that this is the best time of year. Jeff, I know that you're doing amazing work over there at Beeson You're producing for Gil over there at the Numbers Game. You're doing a lot of work hosting on the weekends as well. So let the good people at home know they're able to follow you on social media and just everything that you've got on the docket for the next few weeks.
1: Yeah, at Jeff Parles on the tweets. A numbers game uh, ten to noon Eastern on Sin Bet Center nine p.m. Saturday to. 1 a.m. Sunday. By the way, Greg, you get to take the East Coast in the Daylight Saving this weekend, Yay. so you get a fun time there. This day the, where we're recording, the Thursday, is probably the most underratedly great day on the sports calendar with all these games and a lot of good teams showing up for the first time in their conference tournaments. But the Friday slate's great. Got the conference championship day where you see the bulk of them on Saturday's awesome. We're less than a week away, baby, from the NCAA tournament And you and I both live and breathe for that. So it is a spectacular time of year, Greg. And it's always a pleasure to be on with you.
0: It's always great to have Jeff on the podcast. Guy just absolutely lives and breathes all sports, does a tremendous job being able to take a look at college basketball, always brings it on this podcast, and did so once again today. So big thanks to Jeff for joining me right here on Coast to Coast Soups, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Coming up next, it is that time of the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this College Basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. We're back here in lovely Las Vegas for Ghost to Go with myself, Greg Oopswears and now part of the Vsin family podcast. And it is always a pleasure to get our good friend Jeff Parles on the podcast. He does amazing work over here at Vsin. He does the Vsin Bet Center on the weekends. During the weekdays, you're able to find him helping out with Gil Alexander on a numbers game as well. And Whenever he joins this podcast, always brings it. So big thanks to him for joining me in the last segment. Now it is that time of the podcast. I give you a picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Friday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board. Bank shots. <sighs> Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed, at Jaren's 41. You do want to be noting that these numbers are probably going to be fluctuating quite a bit. I'm sure that many of you guys want to take it a look yesterday and on those games, which they wind up opening up with Team X Lang 2. They wind up closing with Team X Lang like four and a half. So I am doing this and I'm giving exactly what I wind up setting my handicap at. I always put it on the spreadsheet that's at Jaren's 41 on Twitter. So I've got you guys all covered there because, well, we are going to see some movement with it, and we're going to be going in pretty much I'll call it conference order. It's going to be one of those cases in which the first conference with the first game, that would be the Big Ten since they tip off at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. They're going to be first, and then you've got a noon tip when the Atlantic 10, and then we just wind up going from there. So, we're going to be keeping it in that order as we begin with 8.15, 8.16 on the bank board. Indiana and Illinois are doing battle out there in Indianapolis. is find themselves a 3.5 to a 4.5 point underdog in your tournament scheme. you are between 136 and 137. Set my number at 135 with your of total, so I'm going to be taking a look at this total under and with Illinois set them as a six point favorite. I do think that Illinois is going to be able to win with the backcourt. Now, Jacob Granderson has been dealing with a little bit of an injury, but with that said, you do still have Trent Frazier out there, a guy that's able to give you four assists. And I would argue that whenever you wind up having Andre Carbell off the floor, it is good for Illinois. He is a guy that could single handedly torpedo this team with the way that he winds up carrying the ball over. But with that said, Alfonso Plummer, guy that shoots over 40% from three, 15 points per contest, over 80% of had the free throw, He's been terrific. And then obviously you've got the immovable object and his name is Kofi Coburn, a guy that's able to give you over 20 points, over 10 boards. He's been amazing. Now, for Indiana, Trace Jackson Davis, Ray Thompson. They're able to do a good job down low. They combine to be able to give you 16 boards. Thompson, 12 points per contest. Jackson Davis, 15 and a half points, two and a half blocks. But with Indiana, you've got your question marks with this backcourt. Shooting right around 33 and a half percent per three since Big Ten play won the beginning. It's went even further down than that. And I mean, aside from Xavier Johnson, who's able to give you right around a 11.5 points. I know that he gets a lot of flag, but he's actually not terrible. He's able to give you 5 assists at 2.5 turnovers for contest, but outside of him, you don't have anyone in the back us say able to give you more than 6.7 points per game, and Parker Seward, who is that guy, he shoots 40% from 3, but also 61.5% at the free throw line. That's a big giant issue. Got an Illinois team that they rank right around like 85th with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. This is an Indiana team that they've been able to do a little bit better job with their defensive efficiency in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. It has been relatively soft for this season. Team. They rank in the top 40 with this regard, but in road and neutral court environments, they're giving up nearly 14 four hour points per one possessions rather than when they are at home. So, I do think that that's an issue, and I do think that Illinois is going to be able to take advantage of that and get the job done. Willing to lay up to six and a half here with the Illinois. So, my total 135, so I'm looking under as well. 817, 818 on the betting board. Iowa and Rutgers are going to be doing battle. Rutgers find themselves a seven to seven and a half point underdog in your toll scheme. game, are between 144 and a half and 145. And spot in which I do want to say my total out of 145. I'm seeing a straight 144 out there, so I'm going to be taking a look at that over. Yeah, I do think that you're going to see a better effort from Iowa rather than when these two teams wound up poking up. I believe it was in late January, which neither team was able to get to 50 points. That was a 48-46 to 46 just good old slobber knocker in which nobody was able to put the ball in the basket. Iowa went 17 of 61 from the floor. I don't think that that's going to be the case here. This is an Iowa team that is in the top five in all of college basketball. The guards points scored on a per possession basis and got Keegan Murray who's been absolutely tremendous all season long. A man that comes in having scored at least 22 points with at least eight boards in each out of his last four contests. Guy that has nine blocks in the last four games as well and for Iowa I mean it's a team that they do rank outside the top 100 with guards points a lot on a per possession basis but they generate eight steals per game this is a record team that they do a solid job will be able to hold on to the ball. 11.7 turnovers per contest and I do like what you're able to get out of Caleb McConnell on the defensive side of things. Only gives you six and half points but 5 boards, 2 assists, 2 steals so very much a glue guy for this team. Ron Harper Jr. is able to shoot 40% from 3. He's really the main headliner of this offense with 15 and a half points, 6 boards. He's able to give you 1.2 steals per contest and then Gio Baker chips in there 12 points and 4 assists as well. Cliff Amarui should be able to do a solid job in this spot and as a result I did wind up saying this line at 7. I do think that Iowa has an advantage in this game. You've got Jordan Bohannon who's been a little bit intermittent for the team, but a guy that still gives you 11 points per contest shoots right around 38-ish percent from three-point range. Had a nice game yesterday, but I do think that Rutgers is going to be able to do a solid job of be able to hold in this game. It's a Rutgers offense that has been a little bit suspect, but you take a look at the way that the defense has been performing and it has been rather good recently. 66 points or fewer given up in each other last three contests, but it is a team that when they wound up going up against Purdue a couple weeks ago we saw them get sped up against Michigan as well. This is a team that, away from the rack, they give up right around 14 more points per 100 possessions, but we've also noticed that Rutgers on offense has been a little bit better away from the rack as well. They were able to pull off a win against Wisconsin. I do think that it is a spot in which you're going to see Iowa be able to get the job done, but I want to make in this line 7. At 7 or more, I'm willing to take the points with Rutgers and in the spot, set my total at 145. I do think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game felling Iowa relatively solid at the free line aside from when they play against Illinois. Meanwhile, Rutgers, they should around 70% of the charity stripe. So, look it over and looking at Rutgers getting 7 or more. 819, 820 on the betting board. You've got Wisconsin and Michigan State doing battle. Just doing this as Michigan State wound up being able to wrap things up and got the job done against Maryland. So, I currently have no numbers up on this game, but my handicap is Wisconsin being a 3-point favorite and the total 134. Johnny Davis, from all accounts it sounds like, is going to be good to go in this game. I put him pretty much at like 85-90%. I think that he might be a little bit effective, but I still think that you're going to get pretty close to what you typically wind up finding out of Johnny Davis. And when Johnny Davis is at full form, he's a top three player in all of college basketball in terms of his meaning to his respective team. 20 points, 8 pours, seal per contest. Guy that has been able to shoot only about 33% per 3 point range, but you take a look at what he does in road and neutral court environments. He's shooting 39.5% per three, more like 22.5 points per game. He's done his best work away from the state of Wisconsin, ironically enough. And then you take a look at this Michigan State team. Boy, oh boy, if you want to blame the points like I did yesterday, Yesterday. That was a nice big giant sweat. They were able to get the job done, but it really is a Michigan State team which the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. You've right now got one guy that's averaging more than 10 points per contest. That'd be Gabe Brown, 11.5 points, right around four boards. Just shoot 37% from three and That is really the forte of this Michigan State team. They shoot as a collective right around 38.5% from 3 points. shot, 20 in all of college basketball. With that regard went 9 of 19 yesterday and Max Christie had a good game. He was able to give the team 16 points. You take a look at him overall for the season and it's been very up and down because he wound up having single digits in the previous three contests. Now, Ty Walker is a guy that shoots right around 50% from three-point range. He's able to give you right around four assists per contest. Joey Houser has been a little bit better on the defensive side of the ball but hasn't necessarily been able to give you a lot of scoring. And Marcus Bingham, I think, is going to need to play some good minutes. He's a guy that's able to give you two blocks per game down low, chips in there, six boards. A guy that stands right around six foot, eleven, seven feet tall and is able to pop threes. But a guy that has always just been in Tom Izzo's doghouse. Michigan State went on the road. They were able to take down Wisconsin. Wisconsin went on the road. They took down Michigan State. I do think that the coaching advantage, very very slightly here is the Tom Izzo, but that only made it worth about a half a point in my opinion. I do think that Wisconsin going to be able to survive. I think that it's going to be a relatively solid game here. Semi total at 134. Last time these two teams wound up playing, it was 70-62. to I expect something similar here, so taking a look at that with regards to the total 134 and made Wisconsin a three-point favorite. 821, 822 on the betting board. Penn State and Purdue are going to be doing battle. This is a game in which you've got Purdue finding themselves a -a seven-and-a-half point favorite and your total on this game is 136. This the Penn State team that they've really been able to do a good job of being able to pound teams into oblivion and get their tempo. They're in the bottom 30 in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions per game. I do think that Purdue is going to be able to do just enough to be able to get the job done on this spread. I do up setting them as a 9 point favorite. I recognize that Purdue ranks outside the top 150 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, but you do take a look at the Penn State team. And they do have a tough time scoring. Sam Sessions is able to give you right around 10 to 11 points per contest. He has been able to bury about 40% of his series Jalen Pickett has been for the team, giving you right around 13 points, four boards, four assists, doesn't necessarily turn the ball over or like flat, but this is also a Penn State team that they're going to have to do a little bit more of being able to generate some steals. They only get right around five and a half per contest. Purdue, they rank in the bottom 50 with regards to turnovers forced on a per possession basis, so should see a lot of clean possessions in this game, but Jaden Ivy, 17 points, four and a half boards, three assists, shoots 37% for three. Purdue as whole, they rank in the top five in all of college basketball in terms of three-point shooting percentage. They're number one in the country with regards to offensive efficiency. That's merely the amount of points that you score on a per-possession basis, and they should be able to dominate the glass. Zach Eady, Travion Williams, they combined to be able to give you 26 points, they combined to give you 15 rebounds, so these guys have been rock solid. Eady's able to give you 1.3 blocks per contest. Mason Gillis, I think, is an interesting guy as well. Guy that's only able to give you right around 6.5 points per contest, but has been shooting in road and neutral court environments right around 47% from 3 point range. Sasha Stefanovic, good sharp shooter, 3.5 assists, shoots 40% from 3 point range for Penn State. You do have John R being able to give you 10 and a half rebounds per game, and then you've also got Greg back and fold. 7.6 boards. He's really been able to make an imprint on this Penn State team whenever he's been out there and has been performing well. But with that said, I do think that Purdue is going to be able to win from within. I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job in a game that's going to be relatively slowed down. I think that they're just going to be more efficient. my total 133, diving under And with Purdue, making them a 9-point favorite. We go to the Atlantic 10 tournament out there in Washington D.C. 823, 824 on the betting board. Davidson and Fordham are going to be doing battle. Fordham is finding themselves as a 10 doing 11 point underdog in Toronto game, and between 131 and 132, and I think that we've went a little bit too lofty here. This is a Fordham team that, with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, they rank in the top 50 in all of college basketball, so this is when a team has really been able to lock down there. Now, when it comes to this Fordham team, they're also a team that they shoot right around 31% for 3 point range, so that is a little bit of an issue for this team, but we also have been able to get a lot down low with this bunch because it is a team that has been able to have Chuba Ohms go off for right around 14 points, 11 boards, so that has been very solid for this team, and then you take a look at Davidson, and Foster Lawyer is someone that has been dealing with a little bit of an injury. Now, it sounds like he should be good to go in this one, but I think that he winds up going, but I don't think that he's going to be 100%. It's a case in which you've got Foster Lawyer being able to give the team right around 15 and a half points per contest, wound up missing the last four or five games of the regular season. But even without him in the fold, you've had Hunjun Lee really be able to take things over. 17 points, he's able to give you right around seven rebounds per game. This is a Davidson team that, as a collective, they rank in the top 25 with regards to fewest turnovers on a per possession basis. They it's a team that they play relatively slow. This is not a team that is necessarily going to be looking to push a tempo or anything like that. They're a team that they rank outside of the top 275 with regards to total possessions per game, but at the same time, with regards to their offensive efficiency, they do rank in the top 20 because they just do a good job of being able to hit their threes. They do a good job of being able to slow the game down on defense. They do have a couple of liabilities. This is a team in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. They are 159th and for that matter, on the road and neutral court environments, they give up right around 12.5 points more per one hundred rather than at home in terms of possessions and then you got Darius Quincyberry for this Fordham team. He wound up having a very pedestrian performance against George Mason. He wound up having zero points and I think one rebound in that contest and Fordham still was able to get the job done because you have been able to get a little bit more out of a guy that I like in Entrell Charlton who's been able to give you seven and a half points, five and a half boards. Not necessarily a great three-point shooter, but I do think that Fordham is going to be a bold in this game. Last time these two teams wound up playing, Fordham went on the road. They just couldn't hit any shots. 66 for 45 was the final. Luka Baravich in that game wound up having a double-double, 15 points, seven boards. I think that he's going to have another big game for and a half point, seven boards for the six foot ten gentleman that comes in from Austria and is able to shoot right around 42 and a half per separate three. Davidson's going to be able to knock down their threes, but it's going to be a very slow, very grimy game, and I think that Fordham is going to be able to hold in there with their defense. Set this total at 128 and a half, so I'm looking at the under and Fordham made an eight and a half point dog, so looking at the points. 825, 826 on the betting board. St. Louis and St. Bonaventure are going to be doing battle. The Bonnies are finding themselves one and a half to two point underdogs in your total game game is a 139 and a half. This is the spot in which I want to say St. Louis has a two and a half point favorite. The Bonnies wound up facing off against St. Louis twice in February. They will get the job done in both of those games. But got a St. Bonaventure team that they're really running a five-man rotation at this point. So it is a little bit of an issue now with St. Bonaventure. Defense has been able to come to play for this team. They have been able to give up 65 points or fear in pretty much every one of their games ever since the last time they wound up facing off against St. Louis. And for that matter, the UMass game as well. So far out of their last five. It's a St. Bonaventure team that you do have some relatively solid players out there in the back court, Jalen Attaway. Is the main score 16 points, 6 half boards, shoots 38% from 3 as a whole. St. Bonaventure only shoots right around 32% from 3, but they shoot 75.5% in the free line. Each out of your top four scorers shoot at least 75.5% of the charity stripe, and then the other guy is Oshun Oshuni. 11.7 points, half boards, points, 3 blocks per contest. Dealt with a little bit of an injury towards the back half of the season, but should be good to go in this one, and then the Kyle Lofton. Stable give you 5.8 assists to right around 2.5 turnovers per contest, and St. Bonaventure after turnovers per game. That's all. St. Louis will wind up dooming them the first two times around is that Yuri Collins wound up getting loose with it. He wound up having 5 plus turnovers in both of those games. And for the year, he doles out 8 assists, shoots 38% for 3 with 11 points per game, but does give out 4 turnovers per game. I think the things are going to be a little bit more tightened up with him. And I do think that this is a St. Louis team that should be able to do a solid job down low. Fred Thatch, coupled with Francis Okoto, have been able to combine for about 20 points. They give you 13 boards. Thatch is able to shoot 38% for 3, and then Gibson Jimerson, 16 points per contest, shoots 41% for 3. Both of the times that these two teams wound up playing St. Louis was relatively solid from beyond the arc. St. Louis has been able to bottle up with regards to their defense as well after they wound up having that really bad double dip against St. Bonaventure. They have been able to do a solid job giving up fewer than 70 points and now 4 out of their last 5 games. So I do think that you're going to see a relatively tight battle here. Set my line at 133.5 with regards to total. So I'm looking under. I'm with St. Louis. Set them as a 2.5 point favorite. So won't we'll delay the small number here. 827, 828 on the banking board. Dayton and UMass are going to be doing battle. The Minutemen find themselves a 9.5 point underdog in your toss Game It's 145 and a half with UMass. It's been a bad defense this year. No way fans or buts about it. Bottom 35 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. But with UMass, I think that they're going to be able to stay live in this game. Set them as a seven point dog. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points last time. These two teams wound up squaring off. UMass wound up losing to Dayton on the road by a count of 82 to 61 in that game. It was a case in which you wound up having Dayton go 10 of 17 from three point range. You had Mustafa Amziel coming off the bench. You had 16 points on four or five three point shooting. That is not going to be able to duplicate itself. This is a Dayton you does get rather loose with it. They turn the ball over right around 12 and a half times for contests. That doesn't sound too bad, but Dayton, 341st out of 358 D1 teams, so that is a little bit below average, and then you've got a UMass team that they're looking to play a little bit faster. They're right around earth with regards to possessions per game, more like 96th, but somewhere in that vicinity, you've got a Dayton team that no doubt they're going to play defense. Turns points a lot under per-possession basis, 29th in all of college basketball, and really travels. They only give up right around two points more per possession when they're on a road and neutral court environment rather than at home. They're in the top 15 and the country with that regard, but you do have a UMass team that they're able to just go bombs away from three-point range. You know, Fernandez has been able to do a good job. of will be able to just shot the ball. 15 points, five and a half assists. You've got Rich Kelly. who's able to shoot nearly 50% from three-point range. Do have a couple of sharpshooters for the same team as well. As they shoot 37.5% from three-point range. The guy that I really look to is Kobe Elvis. He's been able to enter the building. He's able to give you nine points on 39% three-point shooting. And then Malachi Smith also shoots right around 39% from three, 78% of the free-throw line, nine points, four and a half boards, five and a half assists, two seals per contest. So as we saw, there Dayton not a team that necessarily forces a lot of turnovers, and UMass is a team that, with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis, they are in the top thirty in all of college basketball, taking care of the ball. And you do have some relatively solid depth here when it comes to Dayton down low. You do have Daron Holmes the second along to Monty Kamara. They combined to be able to give you about twenty three points, twelve and a half boards, and with Holmes he's been able to give you two point three blocks per contest. But with that said, I do think that UMass is going to be able to hold in this game. I do think that UMass is going to be able to get up a couple more points than they wind up doing so against Dayton. Dayton is a bunch that they've really been able to do a solid job on defense recently, giving up 62 points or fewer, in now five out of their last six games, but I think that UMass being able to get things cooking in their game yesterday should be able to get enough scoring in this game to be able to hold in this one set. My total, at a 137, so it is a case in which I am going to be taking a look at this total under, and when it comes to Dayton, wound up saying them as seven-point favorite, so I'm going to be taking a look at the points. 829, 830 on the betting board. you got yourself Richmond and the Itsy Bitsy Spiders are going to be taking on VCU. VCU is is finding themselves as a, a 1.5 point favorite in your turnoff game. is one twenty and F. When it comes to Richmond, I did wind up saying them as a 3.5 point underdog in this spot with VCU. I think that they're going to do a solid job of be able to force some turnovers. This is a VCU team that they rank in the top 5 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. And a road in neutral court games, number 1 in that aspect as well. Got a Richmond team that they rank right around 200 with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, but they do generate some swipes. Jacob Gilliard, all-time leader at the Division 1 level. In terms of being able to generate seals, he gives you 12.5 points, 5.5 assists. He's been able to chip in their 3 steals per game. This is a Richmond team as a whole. They only turn the ball over 9.9 times per contest. That's in the top 20 in all of college basketball. They shoot 72% of the free throw line, 33.5% per 3. Really where their focus is down low, that would be Tyler Burton Grant Golden. They come out and give you 31 points, 13 13.5 rebounds. You've been able to have Burton shoot 38% per 3. And Golden does give you 3 assists per game but when it comes to VCU, Ace Baldwin is the ace of this team. Ever since he's come back right around I would say 2 thirds of VCU games with him in the fold have gone over the total because he shoots 42% for three, gives you three steals, 11 points, five and a half assists. I do think that this total is a little bit lofty though because you do have a Richmond team that they rank outside the top 225 with regards to possessions per game. Vince Williams Jr., 13 and a half points, five and a half boards, three assists, 1.6 steals per contest. VCU as a whole does generate nine and a half steals per game. They are going to be outgunned a little bit down low, but at the same time, I don't think that they're going to be too bothered. Hassan Ward has been able to do a good job being able to give you five rebounds per game. And you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, it was in V VCU's home arena, but 77 to 57. VCU was able to get the job done. VCU won the top five teams in all of college basketball in terms of opponent's three-point shooting percentage. VCU has been able to do a little bit of a better job of being able to put the ball in the basket as well with Jaden Nunn giving you eight nap points per contest. He's able to shoot right around 36% from three-point range whenever he's away from home as well. So I do think the VCU gets the job done in a little bit of a lower scoring game. Did wind up saying my total in this spot at a 130 and a half. So I think that we've gone a little bit too low here. I'm going to be willing to take a look at the overs ever since Ace ball one has come back. VCU has been a little bit more of an over team. VCU wound up setting them as a 3.5 point favorite, so going to be one to lay the points. We head to the SEC tournament. This is 831-832 on the betting board. Texas A&M and Auburn are going to be doing battle out there in Tampa, Florida. Texas A&M finds themselves between a nine and nine and a half point underdog. In your tallest game, is anywhere team one thirty nine and a half and one forty and a half? This is a spot in which I do end up saying Texas A&M as a ten point underdog. So pretty much ten or less, I'm going to be willing to lay here with Auburn. So this is pretty much a peak of what I'm willing to lay. But I am willing to lay with Auburn. You do have to be careful of this team being away from home. This is a team that home and road splits. They are very real with them. It is an Auburn team that is tenth of the country with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. The defense is not necessarily too bad away from home. It's spend more like 7.5 points more give it up per 100 when they're they've been on the road rather than at home. It's really been the three-point shooting and the offense that has been in a little bit more of a funk. But with that said, I do think that they are going to be able to do a relatively solid job against the Texas A&M team that they needed overtime to be able to get to this spot. And it's a Texas A&M team that they're sort of a case in which the hole is greater than some of its parts. Quentin Jackson, 14.5 points per contest, 1.5 seals. It's been able to shoot about 35.5% for three. But Texas A&M as a whole, ever since SEC play has began, they've been able to shoot just barely over 30% for three points. They turn the ball over 13.5 times per contest. Now, they do force right around 10 steals per game, but Auburn is a team that they get right around 8.5 takeaways themselves. You take a look at Henry Coleman the third, Tyrese Radford, they combine for 21 points, right around 12 boards. So these guys have been able to do a relatively solid job, but then you take a look at this Auburn team, and you've got Javari Smith, who's going to be by far the best player out there in the floor. 17.7 boards, seal per contest, block per contest, shoots 43.5% from three-point range, and then you've got Walker Kessler, 4.5 blocks per game. This is an Auburn team that they're averaging 7.9 blocks per game that leads all of College basketball—they're going to be able to defend from within. This is a Texas A&M team that they don't necessarily fire up a whole bunch of threes, so that's going to be a little bit of an issue. I do think that Katie Johnson and Wendell Green are going to be able to do just enough out there in the backcourt as well. Especially Green, who's able to give you five assists. He's able to chip in there one and a half seals per game. Each out of your top four scores for Auburn give you at least a seal per contest and. With this Auburn team, last time they wound up facing off against Texas A&M, they did a solid job of being able to hold up at the point of attack on defense. That was a 75-58 to 58 win in that game. Texas A&M shot 3 of 22 from 3-point range. I think that they're going to be a little bit more warm in this game. You wound up having Auburn go 3 of 25 from 3-point range as well. So I do think that both of these offenses are going to be able to heat up Auburn. A team that ranks in the top 50 with regards to possessions for game Texas A&M has cranked up their tempo as well. I'm banking on positive regression shooting. Taking this total at a 142 is what I'm setting it at. So looking at 139 and half, 140, looking at it over. And with Auburn, we'll only lay up to 10 with them. So laying the points, 833, 834 on the bang board. You've got Arkansas and LSU doing battle. LSU finds themselves anywhere between a 1 and 2 point underdog. in your total this game could be getting at anywhere between 138.5 and 139. And when it comes to this LSU team, set them as a one-point favorite. They had their chances both times they wound up playing against Arkansas during the regular season, and they just couldn't close out with late leads with right around five minutes to go, but I attribute a lot of that to the injuries that you wound up seeing with Xavier Pinson. Pinson is now back, and he's back in full force. This is a guy that overall for the year has been able to give you 10.5 points, 4.5 assists, does turn the ball over three times for contests, but also is able to give you two steals per game, and then beyond him, you've got Darius Days, coupled with Terry Easton. These guys are absolutely tremendous for this bunch. They've been able to combine for about 31 points per contest, 14 and a half boards, three and a half steals. You've got Eason giving you a block per game, but both of these guys shoot north of 35% per three. Now, overall, it is a LSU team that you only know, shoot right around 32 and a half percent per three, but Arkansas they shoot right in that same vicinity as well. And this is an Arkansas team that they haven't necessarily been the same when they've been away from Bud Walton the Arena. They were able to get a couple quality wins towards the later half of the season, but it is a team that with regards points a lot on a per possession basis, 9.2 points more per one arm possessions, give it up on the road rather than at home. Now you've got J.D. Note who has scored in double figures in every one of the Arkansas games this season. 19 points four and a half boards three and a half assists. He has been rock solid in Arkansas. to shoot right around 75% the free line. LSU more around 72 and a half percent and it is a Arkansas team that values the ball a little bit more. 12 and a half turnovers per game but you've also got an LSU team that's in the top three in all of college basketball with, regards steals per game with over 11 steals per game for Arkansas. More around eight-ish. You do have Jalen Williams right around 11 points nine and a half boards two and a half assists has been a really good Swiss Army knife guy for the team, and Stanley Moody has really been able to come on down the stretch. Guy that winds up coming in from South Dakota has been able to get the team 13 plus points at each out of the last three contests, double figures, and now eight out of the last 10. A guy that's able to shoot right around 36% from three-point range, and on the road, shot more like 40% from three-point range. But with that said, I think LSU gets their revenge, despite the fact that both of these teams rank in the top 75 with regards to possessions per game. These are a pair of teams that they rank in the top 20 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis as well. So I do think that defense is certainly going to be featured in this game, especially. Especially with LSU in the top five in terms of points a lot on per possession basis. Made LSU the one-point favorite, taking them as money line underdogs. Semi-total 137, so diving under as well. 835, 836 on the bang board. Tennessee and Mississippi State are going to be doing battle. Currently no numbers up on this game. Mississippi State wanted up being able to survive in advance yesterday to, be able to get to this spot, but I've got numbers that I want to making, and I made Tennessee a five-and-a-half point favorite, and I made my total 133.5. When it comes to Mississippi State, this is a team that's rattling down. They're in the bottom one order with regards to possessions per so they're looking to play a little bit more slow, a little bit more controlled. Then they're only shooting right around 29 and a half percent from three-point range. That is in the bottom 50 in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, you got a Tennessee team that they're very inconsistent on the road. They've got one of the biggest falls with regards to offensive efficiency when they are away from home. They're scoring right around 15 points per 100 possessions fewer when they are on the road/slash in a neutral court rather than at home. They're a team that they're right around 120th with regards to possessions per game. And this is a Tennessee team that they are very stifling on defense. You take a look at them in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis. Eighth in the country, though they give up nine and a half points more when they are away from Knoxville. It is a Tennessee team that they've got Kennedy Chandler, coupled couple with Santiago, Vescovi. Both give you 13 and a half points per contest and combined to be able to give you 7.7 assists, 3.8 steals, and you've got Chandler shooting 36% per three, Viscovy or more around 40% from three-point range. the a guy, Ziegler, to be able to come on for the team. Shooting 36% per three, 80% the free-throw line, an eight and a half points, two and a half assists per game, so that's been relatively solid, but you've got a Tennessee team that they hang their hat on defense, so they've right now got one active guy that gives you more than 5 rebounds per game. That'd be Josiah Jordan, James, 9.5 points, 5.8 rebounds per game. Now they do generate 9.5 steals per contest. It's a Mississippi State team that with regards to turnovers per game, right around 13, that is a little bit of an issue, but Iverson Molinar I think is going to be able to do a good job. will be able to run this offense, 18 points, 3.5 assists. Guy that shoots it, only about 26% for 3 par inch, but 87% at the free-flying. I do think that Mississippi State stays alive in this game because you've got Tolu Smith coupled with Garrison Brooks. They combine to be able to give you right around 24 points. They give you 13 boards per contest. This is a spot in which you wound up seeing these two teams match up about a month ago. Tennessee got the job done on the road by a count of 72-63 to 63. in that game. You wound up having Mississippi State commit 16 turnovers. Tennessee just said that was a big lifeblood for them, but Mississippi State was able to win that rebound battle. I think that Mississippi State will be able to do a solid job on the glass, and that'll keep them alive in this game. Semi-total, of 133.5 and ME Tennessee a 5.5 point favorite, as we say out there in the SEC. Yes, 837, 838 on the betting board. You've got yourself Vanderbilt, and they're going to be taking on Kentucky. Kentucky is a 12.5 point favorite. Your this game is 143.5. I thought I was being aggressive with setting Kentucky at 12. Here at 12.5, I think that we went a little bit too far, and the big reason why, Liam Robbins is out back at the fold. He wanted to transferring in from Minnesota, a 7-footer that's able to give you right around 2 blocks per contest, and then you've got Scottie Pippen Jr., who's able to go into takeover mode. He's in the top 5 and all of college basketball with regards to free throw attempts on a per-game basis. As able to give this team right around 21 points per contest, ships in their 5.5 boards. He's been able to do a good job of being able to facilitate some offense with right around 4 assists per game now. Just turn the ball for three and a half times per game. This is a Kentucky team that they really do a better job down low. Rather than generating steals, they get right around seven per contest. Oscar Sheway, 15 and a half points, 15 and a half boards, 14 plus rebounds in each of the last nine games. Steal and half and block and half per contest. Now you do have Kellen Grady. He's able to shoot 43 and a half percent from three and you got to figure that Xavier Wheeler and Ty Ty Washington going to be a little bit closer to full health in this game. Wheeler in the top five with regards to assists per contest with seven per game. Ty Ty Washington when fully healthy. is averaging right around 14 and a half ta- points per contest. Kentucky, they do rank in the top 20. With regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, it's a Vanderbilt team that they've been playing at very much a mid-tempo. Kentucky's not a team that's necessarily going to play at a reconnect pace either, but for Vanderbilt, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job recently of being able to play some solid defense. As a team that, with regards to points a lot on a per-possession basis, they rank right around 80th. So, I mean, it's not something that they're lighting the world on fire with or anything like that, but they've been solid in for Kentucky. This is a team that they're allowing 8 points more per 100 possessions when they are away from home rather than when they are at home. So, I think that that is something to take a look at. I do think that Sheboy is going to be able to have his way down low, but having Leah Robbins back in the fold should be able to throw in there a little bit of a wrinkle on Miles Sute being a guy that for Vanderbilt is able to shoot 40% per 3 as a six, six combo player in Jordan Wright, giving you 12 points, 6 sports per game, should be able to keep this team alive. I do mind saying my total at a 144, you do have a Kentucky team that's one of the most efficient in all of college basketball, so I'm looking at it over, and with this Kentucky team, was only one to lay up to 12, so going to be taking a look at 12 and a half plus here with Vanderbilt. 839, 840 on the betting board. We go out to the Conference USA Tournament out there in Frisco, Texas as you've got Louisiana Tech taking on North Texas. North Texas finds themselves a 7-point favorite, and your turn on this game is 126.5. North Texas is a team that I really like. The big green has been able to make me some mean green this year, but that said, I do think that we went a little bit too far with this line. I did wind up setting mine at 5. You do have a uh, North Texas team that just completely blew the doors off of Rice, but Rice is not playing a lot of defense so far this year, and you have got North Texas team that they've got their liabilities when it comes to offense. Now, the one guy that I like is Abdul Usman for this North Texas team. Yesterday, he had a 16.8 rebound performance, and this guy has been flat out spectacular here towards the back half of the season. He's been able to give you 8 plus points in right around, I would say, 5 of the team's last 7 contests. guy that has been able to give you 5 plus rebounds in pretty much all but 2 of the team's games ever since the beginning of the month of February. And then you've also got a guy down low in Thomas Bell who's been able to give you right around 13.5 point, points, 6 boards per contest. Got a good 3 point shooter that comes off the bench. Has been able to about 44% per three and Tyler Perry, who's giving you right around 13.5 points per game. But it's also a North Texas team that they do turn the ball over a little bit more than you'd like. 11.5 turnovers doesn't sound bad, but North Texas in the bottom three in all of college basketball regards possessions per game, they shoot 65.5% at the free line. And you got a Louisiana Tech team that they do a good job of being able to take care of the ball. Barely survived against Western Kentucky, but that said, you got Mr. Kenny Lofton Jr., as I call him Big Sexy because he looks like Bartolo Colon, and he certainly plays much better than Bartolo Colon would at basketball. 16 and a half points, 10 and a half boards. It will give you a block and a seal per contest. has been absolutely dominant with that regard. And then Keeson Wills has been good out there in the backcourt along with Amari Archibald. These two guys combined to be able to give you about 24 points per contest. Archibald, a little bit pedestrian yesterday, but Willis really lifted the team to victory. Won 5-10 from 3. He's been able to shoot darn near 40% from 3-point I think that he's going to be a key cog for this team. You take a look at this North Texas team out there in the backcourt. It is a team that they've got. Martins McBride being able to give you 8-9 to nine points per contest. And with North Texas, they were able to get the job done Last time they up playing against Louisiana Tech, that was by kind of 56 of 49 at home. But I do think that with this being in a little bit more of a neutral court environment, that Louisiana Tech is gonna be able to in there. I do think that the free throw shooting could be a little bit of an issue in that game. North Texas wound up going 19 of 23 at the free throw line. I don't see that duplicating itself, and I think the Louisiana Tech holds up on the glass. I do think that with the way that North Texas plays bottom three in regards to possessions, graham, you're gonna get another low scoring slobber knocker. semi my total 123. So I'm gonna have under and set my line at five. So we'll take seven here with Louisiana Tech. 841, 842 on the banking board. UAB and Middle Tennessee are going to be doing battle. UAB is a 3.5 point favorite and your total on this game is 140.5. With Middle Tennessee, they were barely able to survive in advance when they were without their main scorer, That would be Josh Jefferson. It looks like he might have a chance to be able to play in this game, but you got to figure that if Josh Jefferson does wind up playing in this game, he's going to be much less than 100%. I want to saying UAB as a 10.5 point favorite. Personally, I do not see where this number is necessary. coming from, in which you wind up setting it at a 3 and F. This is a U UAB e team that they've been dominant. They're in the top 40 with regards to points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. Meanwhile, you do take a look at this Middle Tennessee team, and you've been able to do a good job of being a mix-and-match with this team, and they've been the best cover team out there in all of college basketball. With Josh Jefferson in the fold, they've covered over 80% of their games. Jefferson, who I've been referencing a lot, 14 and a half points per contest, shoots 87% at the free throw, 37% for three in Middle Tennessee. They do shoot 76% at the free throw, right around 33% from 3 point range. Donovan Sims, by Lawrence. Both of these guys give you 10.5 points per contest. They both give you 4.3 rebounds per game but DeAndre Dishman is 4.7 rebounds per game. That currently leads the team. That's a little bit of an issue. You do have a Middle Tennessee team that they do generate 8 steals per contest but you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing and that was with Josh Jefferson in the fold and Middle Tennessee wound up getting host 97 to 75. I think that things are going to be a little bit more controlled in this game but I mean, Middle Tennessee lost that game by 22 points shooting 15 of 32 from 3 point range. It was Jordan Walker who wanted to take over mode in that game. and 42 points Leads away for UAB with 19 and half points, 5 assists, shoots 41% from 3-point range. He has been able to do a tremendous job here down the stretch. 17-plus points in now 5 of the team's last 6 games. A guy that is able to really ditch out the ball as well. He's been able to give this team at least 6 assists in 3 of the last 4 contests. It's a UAB team that ranks in the top 5 with regards to steals on a per-game basis. They're able to give you right around 9.7 per contest. They shoot 37.5% from 3-point range. KJ Buffett, 10.5 points, 6 and a half boards down low. You've had Quan Jackson be the main guy to be able to give this team some steals with two and a half per game, and then Trey Jamison, seven footer that winds up coming in from Clemson, seven and a half boards, block and a half per game. I like this UAB team. I wound up saying UAB as a ten and a half point favorite. I have no idea where this three and a half is coming from, so I'm going to be certainly willing to lay here with UAB. Semi-total 137 and a half. This is a UAB team that has been relatively efficient on defense, and they do play a little bit more up-tempo, but we've noticed that with Middle Tennessee ever since they've been dealing with the injury to Jefferson, they've had to throttle down a little bit, so I'm Going to be taking a look at the under and a little late here with UAB. We go to my DK Nation pick 843, 844 on the banging board. Cincinnati, we are on to Cincinnati and they are on to playing Houston. Houston is finding themselves as a 12 point favorite and your total on this game. You're going to be finding it anywhere between 133.5 and 134.5. And when it comes to this spot, the DK Nation pick is going to be Cincinnati. I felt like anything of double digits was worth a play on them. Cincinnati, a top 50 team with regards points allowed on a per possession basis. Now, so Cincinnati is not a team that's going to shoot the lights out. They shoot right around 66.5% the free-throw line. They are a team that they shoot right around 32% from three, but with that said, each of your top three scores for Cincinnati shoot over 75% of the free-throw And Houston, they are a team that they shoot right around 66.5% in the free-throw line. Houston has been able to rank at the top 20 with regards to both offensive and defensive efficiency, but Houston, really a lifeblood for them is being able to generate steals. They get over eight per contest, and Cincinnati is a team that they rank at the top 30 with regards field turnovers on a per-possession basis. I do like the way that you've had Jeremiah Davenport step up for the team. He's been able to give you 13.5 points Five and a half boards. It is a Cincinnati team that they do an okay job of being able to give themselves second chances. Now Houston, they get a rebound on thirty-seven point seven percent of their misses. That's number one in all of college basketball. But ever since the beginning of American Athletic Conference play, it's a team that's shot right around thirty-one and a half percent from three because they've been down a pair of guards out there in the backcourt. You've been without Marcus Sasser, also Trayvon Mark. It's led to Kyler Edwards being a takeover mode for the team, being able to give you thirteen and a half points, six boards. And I will say, Fabian White, Josh Carlton, these two guys combined for right in the neighborhood about twenty-five points, twelve and a half boards, and White able to shoot 39% from three-par range Houston as a whole, though. It is a bunch of which, they do a great job on the glass, but I do have my fear with regards to that free-throw shooting as well. I do think that Cincinnati with David DeJulius running things for this team, 14 and a half points, 2.5 assists, shoots 82% of the free-throw line, Micah Adams-Woods shooting right around 40% from three-par range in a road and neutral court environment. Going to be able to hold in this game. They wind up saying my total out of 132.5. Got a Houston team that's outside the top 250 with regards possessions for AIM Cincinnati. Certainly has been doing much more damage on defense and offense, so we're going to be taking a look at this subtle under and the DK Nation pick. We're going to be taking the points here with Cincinnati as we are on a Cincinnati with that. 845, 846 on the banging board. Tulane and Temple are going to be doing battle. Temple is anywhere between a one-point favorite to a one-point underdog. In a lot of spots, this is a pick and in your turn on this game. You're going to be getting it at a 137. And when it comes to this game, I did wind up setting Tulane as a two-and-a-half-point favorite. These are a pair of teams that they wound up picking up a few weeks ago. Tulane looked like they were going to be able to get the job done. They were unable to do so. They've been dealing with a little bit of an injury to Jalen Cook. But at the same time, you've got to expect that Cook and Forbes are going to be out there for Tulane. Both of these have been able to do a solid job. These two guys both shoot right around 30 to 39% from three point both shoot north of 75% at the free throw line as well. And they've really been able to form a dynamic duo that's averaging right around 35 to 36 points per contest. And then you take a look at the flip side, which you're able to get out of Temple. And this is a team that they've just been anemic on defense. So the one thing that Temple has going for them is that they've actually been relatively solid on defense. If you take a look at them in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, this is a team that they clock in in the top 80. So they've been able to do a relatively solid job there. But But that said, this is also a temple team that they're allowing 13 more points per 100 possessions when they are on the road rather than at home. This is a two-lane team that they themselves have been able to do a good job of being able to do some pickpocketing. And it's a temple team that, well, they've been without Khalif Battle for much of the season, so... He's been turning the ball for 12 and a half times for contest. Shooting 67.5% of the free throw line, 31% from three par. And Damian Dunn is able to get her done. 15 points, right around four and a half boards per game, but he's not going to be able to match up with Cook along with Forbes. And then you take a look at Dulane. Down low, you're going to have the best pure rebounder in this game, and Kevin Gross, 14 points. He's able to give you six half boards, three and a half assists. He's been able to shoot right around 81% of the free throw line. Dulane is a collective. They shoot 36.8% from three, 75.5% at the free throw line. Zion James is able to step up in this backcourt as well. Zion James is not necessarily a guy that's going to go off and give you a whole bunch of scoring as he scored a double figures in just one out of the team's last five games. With that said, he's had at least three assists in every one of the team's game ever since Groundhog's Day, and in that time span he has had three turnovers or fewer in every one of their contests, averaging right around a turnover and a per game, so he's been able to do a very solid job out there in the backcourt. You do have a Tulane Bunch that you've got to feel like they're going to be out for blood a little bit after that game, on up going awry by kind of 75-70 to 70, a few weeks ago in that game. you did wind up having Tulane wind up knocking down just 18 buckets, so say stayed by going 27 to 32 at the free throw line. Meanwhile, Temple, they want to going 10 to 24 from three par. I think that things are going to be. Reigned in a little bit more there. Nick Jordy on is able to give you right around five and a half boards per game. So he's able to do but also we saw a relatively solid job. And then you've got Jelani White, who in that game wound up having a double double, 13 points, 10 boards. You take a look at him for the season for Temple, and he's been a guy that has been able to give you right around seven and a half points, five and a half boards, side and is able to give you eight and a half points per game as well. But really, you don't have much three point shooting when it comes to Temple. I think that that's going to be their undoing. I'm willing to take this two lane team as a very slight favorite slash a money line underdog, set them as a two and a half point favorite. And made my total 134.5, I'm diving under. As we we move on to 847, 848 on the main board. Tulsa and SMU are going to be doing battle. SMU, 8, 7, and a half point favorite with your draw on this game. They're between 138 and a half at 140 and a half. SMU, I do feel like it's a little bit of a bump because this is relatively close to them. Fort Worth is relatively close to the SMU campus, so they get a little bit of a bump there, and I'm only up to 8.5 here with SMU. You've got a Tulsa team that they just don't do a great job on defense. They're in the bottom 80 with regards points a lot on a per-possession basis and there's just not really a lot of depth when it comes to Tulsa. You've got Jariah Horn, who's been a Amazing for the team. 16 points, 7 boards, shoots 41% for free, 86% of the free throw line. Tulsa has been shooting as a collective right around 34.5% from three-point range, and you've been able to get Sam Griffin going out there in the backcourt. 14 points, 2 assists, kind of disable I can about 84% of his free throws, but Darian Jackson really had to have a big game for the Tulsa team to be able to survive an advance against Wichita State. 20 points, 9 boards. In the previous four games, he wound up having a combined Six rebounds. Now, he's been able to come on with the scoring. 15 plus points at each other the last four contests. So that's been big. But I mean, rather, other than Ray Iduo, who's able to give you eight points, four and a half boards per game, it's he and Horn, who are the only guys on this roster. They're averaging more than three rebounds per game. SMU should be able to take them to task because you got the Weathers brothers, Marcus and Michael Weathers. They combine to be able to give you right around 23 points, 13 rebounds between the two of them. Kendrick Davis, 19 and a half points, three and a half boards, four and a half assists. Sion per contest. Going to be by far the best player out there on the court. Shoots 86% at the free line, 37 percent separate three. SMU SMU as a collective. They shoot 36.5% from three-point range. It's an SMU team that they do rank in the top 50 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, but the defense, which has always been a little bit of a knock on this team, it's been able to come along for the ride as well. This is a team that, with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis, they've been able to rank right around 60th, so they've been able to do a good job with that regard. Zach Natal has done a nice job with a defense that doesn't necessarily generate as many steals, but it's just a good on-ball defender seven points per contest. Shoots only about 32% from three-point range, but Emmanuel Band. 38 percent three point shooter with 11 points per contest and the weather's brothers, they combined to be able to shoot 39.5 percent from three. Tulsa last time they played against SMU got rocked by kind of 75 to 61 in that contest. SMU 11 29 from three point range. Tulsa they wound up shock shock surprise surprise losing that rebound battle 36 to 27. I think history repeats itself. Won't we'll lay up to eight and a half here with SMU set my total at a 140 and a half. I do like the fact that this total has come down into the sub 140 range because I do think that SMU being a team that is uh, a little bit more up tempo, Going to be able to get the job done against a Tulsa team that has not been playing a lot of defense. So, looking at the over, and I'm going too late here with SMU. 849-850 on the banging board. Memphis and Central Florida are going to be doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game. Central Florida wound up just arriving against South Florida to be able to make it to the next round. With that set. making Memphis a 7.5 point favorite and making this total 142.5 you've got a Memphis team that has really been able to peak at this time of year. Jalen Duran, 12 points, half boards, 2.2 blocks per contest. He's going to be the best little post player in this game. Chekun Bakkejong, along with C.J. Walker on the flip side goodbye to be able to give you right around 12 boards per game and Bakke Zhang. say so will give you right around a block and a half per contest. Backcourt of the Central Florida teams relatively solid. Darren Green Jr. Darius Perry. They combined to be able to give you 25 points per contest. You've got Green Jr. shooting about 40% from three-point range. Perry along with Brandon Man, Both give you 1.6 blocks per contest. And Perry, 4.3 assists at two and a half turnovers per game, but they turn the ball over 13 times per contest. Out Memphis, out of 358 D1 teams, they rank in the top 10 in all of college basketball. They're going to have most turnovers on a per possession basis. That's not great, but they rip it back as well. They get nearly nine seals per game. You've got Imani Bates, who's been out of the fold, and that has actually been a big boost for this Memphis team ever since then. You've really noticed DeAndre Williams, since he's come back, really be able to flourish 11 points, five and a half boards. Guy that stands right around six foot nine, shoots 35% from three point range. Lester Keone, Slanders, Nolly, they combine to be able to give you 20 points per contest. Both shoot right around 37% from three point range, and Nolly's been able to do a good job helping fold the offense, give the team a seal per contest. I just think that Central Florida is going to be outgunned with regards to the depth. That Memphis is able to throw at them, I do wind up saying this total at a 142 and a half. I think that things are going to be a little bit more bunker down rather than the last time these two teams wound up playing. That was in early February. Central Florida wound up getting housed by a count of 88-60. to 60. I think that Central Florida is going to be able to do a little bit better job than 7-33 of 33 from 3-part into 13-25 at the free line. But with that said, I do think that Memphis is going to be able to put the clamps out on defense top 50 team with the guys points a lot on a per possession basis. So, semi-total 142.5. 7 Memphis, a 7.5 point favorite. 851, 852 on the bang board. We go to the mech semifinal out there in Cleveland, Ohio as you've got Toledo taking on Akron. The Zips find themselves a 5.5 point dog in your total on this game. Going to be getting it. Any work between 139 and 139.5. Intriguing matchup here. You've got a Toledo team that ranks in the top 15 with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis and you've got an Akron team that they find themselves 330th with regards to possessions per game. So it's a good old scenario if something's got to give. I do think that there's going to be a little bit of late-game falling. so I do put myself on the over here. I wound but setting my total at 142, and I take a look at Toledo. They wound up having a pedestrian effort yesterday. I think a little bit of that was because they had such an early game Facing off against Central Michigan, that was at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern. I think that they're going to be a little bit more equipped for this game. Toledo is a team that you've got all five of your scorers that give you at least five points per contest. Also being able to give you at least five and a half rebounds per game. And J.T. Shulmey, is one of the most versatile players in all of college basketball. He's right around 6'7", 15 and a half points, six boards, shoots 51% per three-point range. Ray J. Dennis, four assists, 12 and a half points, shoots 35% per three. Toledo as a whole, they shoot 36 percent per three, 77% at the free throw line. This is a team that they've been bumping up their tempo as the season has went along and yet they're a team that they really don't get out of sorts with. at 10.5 turnovers per game despite being a team that with regards to possessions per game, they rank right around 85th. It is an Akron team that you do take a look at them and they've got one very dominant low post player and that would be Enrique Freeman, a guy that's able to give you right around 13 points, 11 rebounds per contest and then you take a look at Ali Ali along Xavier Casaneda. They're able to combine for about 26.5 points per contest. Casaneda is shooting 37.5% per 3, 81% free throw line. Ali Ali this is a guy that Saints right around six foot eight ish and has been able to pop threes at about a 37% clip. He himself has been very solid recently for this team. 16 plus points in far of the team's last 5 games, but at least 4 turnovers in each of the last 4 games. I think that that's going to be a little bit doomsday. This is a Toledo team that they don't necessarily spe- seek out a lot of steals. Right around 5 at a half per contest. Akron doesn't either, but I do think that Akron is going to be a little bit more sloppy with the ball. They're a team that they don't necessarily shoot it great at. The free-throw line shooting as a collective right in the pocket of about 68% at the charity stripe, and I do think that having nobody else other than Mr. Freeman giving you more than 3.5 rebounds per game is going to be a little bit of an undoing. I like the hole in this game of Toledo willing to lay up to 8 with them set by total 142. So on Toledo laying the points and taking a look at the over 853, 854 on the betting board. Ohio is going to be playing against Kent State. The Golden Flashes are currently off the board at books, but in the handicap of Greg Peterson, Kent State a 3.5 point favorite and your total 133.5. When it comes to Kent State, this is a team that they are just absolutely on fire. They have now been able to win 13 straight games and... Last time these two teams wound up playing, Ohio wound up getting housed by a count of 75-52. Now, this is an Ohio team that they've been able to play some relatively solid defense this season in terms of points allowed on a per-possession basis. They're 77th in the country, but they've actually been one of the best road defenses in all of college basketball, giving up 6.6 points fewer per 100 possessions when they are on the road slash in a neutral court rather than when they are at home. And you take a look at the recent form of this team, and it's been relatively solid. They've given up 67 points or fewer in now 4 out of their last 6 contests. And then you take a look at what you're Able to get out of the actual front court of this Ohio team, you've been able to have Ben Vanderplas coupled with Jason Carter doing a solid job down low. These two guys combined to be able to give you right around 13 boards per game. Both guys give you between 13 and a half and 14 points per game. Vanderplas is able to shoot 34 percent from three. Mark Sears is going to be the best pure scorer out there in this game. 19 points, six boards, four assists. He's able to shoot 42 percent from three. Ohio as a whole, they do shoot right around 34 percent from three, and they take care of the ball 10 and a half turnovers per contest. But when it comes to Kent State, they've got Sincere carry who does such a great job at the point guard spot. Transfer from Duquesne has been able to give the team 19 points, 4.9 boards, 4.8 assists. Shoots 36% for 3. Ken State is old. They only shoot right around 33% for 3, but they make 74% of the free throws. Good team rebounding as you've got Justin Hamilton and you're able to throw in there. Jacobs, they're able to combine for right around 14 rebounds per contest. Hamilton's able to give you right around 8 points at a little bit over a block per contest. Jacobs, 12 points per contest and this is a team that they've really been able to get a lot out of Andrew Garcia recently. Guy that's given you right around 9 points per game, but has been able to bury about 48% of his threes, and this is a Kent State team that they're playing relatively close home in this game as well, so I do think that that gives them a little bit of a boost. I do wind up saying, as a result, Kent State as a 3.5 point favorite. I do wind up saying my total at a and a 55 855, 856 on the betting board. We head out to Atlantic City. That's where we've got the Metro Atlantic Tournament, as you've got Ryder and Monmouth doing battle. It is Monmouth, who's going to be finding themselves a favorite. You're going to be getting them in between four and five points. As of right now, your turn on this game is... Between 134 and a half and 135, and in this spot, I want to say Monmouth is a six-point favorite. Monmouth wound up beginning the year at a just absolutely elatesious pace at being able to cover games. They covered each out of their first 11. Slow down a little bit from there, but I still do like the backcourt of this team. This is a team that you do also have out there. Walker Miller, he's actually the brother of Wes Miller, the coach over there at Cincinnati, has been able to do a solid job for this team. Sands right around 6 foot 10. Is able to pop threes, shoots right around at 31, 32 percent clip. But it's really Shafar Reynolds along George Pop. That really do a good job of be able to engineer the offense. These two guys have been able to combine for right in the neighborhood about 33 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot north of 80% the free throw line, and Miller has been a very solid free throw shooter as well. Shooting about 72% at the charity stripe. You've also got to like what you've been able to get out of Nico Ruti down, though. able will give you 7.5 boards per game. It's a Mammoth team that has been a little bit touch and go with regards to their defense. Really, both of these teams have been. You've got a pair of teams that they're not necessarily Blazers, they're not necessarily super slow. Mammoth is right around 160. 16th of the country with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, but actually giving up fewer points in a road and neutral court environment rather than at home. Ryder ranks right around 143rd with this regard as well. It's a Rider team that they don't necessarily do a great job of being able to shoot from three-part Really, neither of these teams do as Ryder is a little bit lesser as they shoot about thirty one percent per three, but Dwight Murray Jr., Demencio Vaughn, both give you between 12 and and 13 points per contest. The combined to will give you 14 rebounds per game. Vaughn, two seals per game. You've got Ajiri Oguamo-Johnson, who's been would do a good job being able to be seven boards and then You've got to like what you're able to get out of Mervin James along with Allen Boom Boom Powell. These two guys combined to be able to give you 23 points per contest. When you take a look at Ryder, each of your top four scores shoot at least 75% of the free line. Both of these teams very solid at the charity stripe. If you take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing, Monmouth wound up taking the L in that game by a count of 74 to 65 in that game. You do wind up having Monmouth go 9 to 23 from three-point range, 6 of 19 from Ryder, but what really wound up dooming Monmouth in this game is that they just weren't able to do a great job in the glass Writer Ryder, up winning that rebound battle. I think that things could be a little bit the opposite here as Mervyn James had 23.7 boards in that contest. I don't think that that is going to be able to duplicate itself. I want to say Mammoth as a six-point favorite here, so I'm going to lay it. Semi-total at 130 as well. I think that you wind up getting a little bit of late game following, so I'm going to be taking a look at the over as well. 857, 858 on the betting board, Saying out there in the Metro or Atlantic Conference Tournament. You've got Quinnipiac and St. Peter's who are going to be doing battle. Currently no numbers up on this game. But with that said, this is a game in which I wound up setting St. Peter's as a 5.5 point favorite. Made my total 133.5. With Quinnipiac, they've been able to have a nice run to be able to make it this far, and I do think that they're going to be able to hold in this game because Kevin Marfo is the best pure rebounder that you're going to find in this contest. A guy that's able to give you 10.5 points, 10.5 points, and is a very good passer for a big man with right around 4 assists per contest. With that said, with Kevin Marfo, this is a guy that is going to get loose with the ball as well. You take a look at it, and he has given out at least 3 turnovers in now 5 of the team's last 7 contests. Now, You've got Jacob Bergoni really firing all cylinders. He's a fifth-year senior. maybe so we will give you right around nine points per contest for the season, but has Albany able to give you double figures in four of the last five contests? A guy that stands right around six foot six, is three-point shooting, hovers right around 35-36% from three-point range. It's a Quinnipiac team. You take a look at their two games out here in the Metro Atlantic Conference Tournament, and they're shooting right around 47% from three. I do think that they're going to cool off a little bit, and then you take a look at St. Peter's, and they're a team that's going to cool you off. They rank in the top 20 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis, and you Got Casey Undefu who does a very good job down low. He's able to give you two point seven blocks per contest. He gets help with Fusani Drame being able to haul in there some boards, and you have also got Asandrame Drame as well. These three guys, they're able to combine for about 18 rebounds per game. Daryl Banks the third, 11.5 points per contest, shoots 36.5% from three-par range. Doug Egger varies 42% of his threes. Both of these guys should at least 85% in the charity stripe. And with Egger, he's able to chip in their 9 points per contest. It's a St. Peter's team that they do get loose with it. They turn the ball over 14 times per contest, so that is a little bit of an issue. But Quinnipiac, they only generate 6.5 steals per contest despite being in the top 100 with guards possessions per game. St. Peter's, they're very much a mid-tempo team right around earth with regards to possessions per game. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing. It got a little bit hairbrained. St. Peter's got the job done by kind of 83 to 74. I don't think that we're going to see a repeat in this one. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more bottled up. Both teams wound up going 10 of 26 at the free throw and I do think that St. Peter's going to be able to win the battle on the glass much like they did in the first time around, so it is a spot in which I did wind up setting a little bit of a lower total in this one, 133 and a half, with the way that St. Peter's has been playing defense and made St. Peter's a 5.5 point favorite. A59.86 We go out to the Garden as you've got Providence and Creighton doing battle with Creighton. You are finding them as an underdog of three to three and a half points. Total this game is aimed with team 131.5 one and, and seeing a size of 132 and with Providence I do want to them as a six point favorite. Now I recognize that there are some folks that are saying that the little bit of luck ride that Providence is having, it's going to come to an end and it's going to come to a screeching halt. I don't think it's going to be here against a Creighton team that they are going to be without Ryan Emmer. Once again, the team's point guard has been uh, the full of the last few games and we've noticed that with Creighton, in the games that they've been without him yesterday was the first time that they were able Break through the 66-point plateau. It's a great team that they're just not shooting well from three-point range in general. Right around. 31.5% 31.5% from 3-point range. Yeah, you've got the Ryans. Ryan Hawkins, Ryan Kunkbrenner. Both of these guys combined to be able to give you 27 points. They both give you 7.5 rebounds per game, so they're solid there. Brenner. 2.7 blocks per contest. Hawkins shoots 37% from 3-point range, and then Alex O'Connell was able to step up in some big moments yesterday against Marquette, a guy that's able to give you right around 11.5 points per contest. Wound up having just 9 points yesterday, but also had 9 boards, really had the dagger 3 towards the end of that game as well. Has been able to flow a little bit of offense and combine 10 assists to 3 turnovers in the last 3 contests, but great and silly team that. They turn the ball over right around 14 times for contest. That is with regards to turnovers on a per possession basis in the bottom 75 of college basketball Providence. They do a better job of taking care of the ball. 12 turnovers per game. You've got Nate Watson giving you 13.5 points, 5.5 boards per game. And then Noah Horkler, guy that's saying 6 foot 8, gives you 10 points, 8.5 rebounds, shoots 41.5% for 3 point range. Providence is a team that has relatively solid at the free throw line. Among their top 5 scorers, 4 of them shoot at least 75% at the free throw line, including Jared Bynum. Bynum is coming off the bench and he has been one of the best sharp shooters in all of college basketball recently a guy that's been able to give you at least 16 points in now four out of your last five games double figures in pretty much nine out of the last ten and it's a guy that is able to out the ball as well four and a half assists to so 2.3 turnovers per game. You've also got a guy in Al Durham like a guy that's been able to give you right around 13 and a half points per contest was a little bit pedestrian yesterday coming back off of injury but it was good to see him back out there on the floor only had two turnovers creating not a team that necessarily is going to do a great job of BL4 steals. They only get right around five and a half per contest. I do think that it's going to be a little bit more of a bottled up game because this is a great team that they've really been throttling down their tempo ever since they wound up having Neymar out of the fold, and it's not a team that was necessarily playing fast to start with overall for the season. This is a Korean team that with regards to possessions, frame you're finding them outside of the top 150. They're more around 167th, but in these last three games going into what we wanted seeing yesterday. Right around 65 possessions per game when they typically play at more like 70 and a half. And Providence they're in the bottom 75 the possessions per game as well. So I wanted up saying my total 129. I'm diving under and I'm on to layup to six here with Providence. 861 862 on the betting board. Other semi-final out there at MSG. UConn and Villanova are going to be doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game. UConn wound up just getting the job done against Seton Hall. But I've got a line on this one and with this one I do wind up saying Villanova Villanova as a favorite of four and a half points. I think the Villanova is going to be out for revenge. Last time these two teams wound up playing, UConn got the job done by two points in a game in which, well, there were some really bad calls at the end of the game that wound up costing Villanova. But I take a look at this Wildcats bunch. They wound up barely being able to get by St. John's yesterday. But with that said, this is a team that they do have, in my opinion, the best player out there on the floor, and that'd be Colin Gillespie. A guy that's able to give you right in the neighborhood about 15 and a half points per contest. Has been able to shoot from three point range over 40%, shoots 91% of the free thing and that's a big thing with Villanova as well. Number one team in terms of free throw shooting percentage at all of college basketball. They shoot right around 82.8% at the free throw line, and it's a team that's been able to do a better job on the glass. They won the rebound battle against St. John's by a count of 39-32 to 32 yesterday. You've got Jermaine Samuels, a couple with Eric Dixon, who are able to combine for about 12.5 rebounds per game. You get right around 10 points per game out of both of these guys, and Dixon has been able to shoot over 45% from three-part Villanova's home. They only turned the ball over 10 times for contest. Villanova, a very slow and controlled team. They're a team that they are in the bottom 25 in all of college basketball in terms of possessions frame. You've got a UConn team that's a little bit more mid-tempo, and you've got a guy in RJ Cole, who does a good job of being able to run the point right around 16 points, 4 assists. Guy that only shoots right around 34% per 3, but 85% of the free-throw line. UConn as whole, They shoot 75% of the charity stripe, 35.5% from 3-point range, and legitimately you've just got a whole bunch of guys on this UConn team that are able to bomb it from 3-point range among their top 7 scorers, among guys that have actually made a 3, so Dom ogo is out of the fold. Only one guy shoots below 33.8% from 3-point range. Isaiah Whaley, 8 points, 5 boards. He's relatively solid. Andre 3000 Jackson, 7 boards, 3 assists. He's able to shoot about 36.5% from 3-point range, so so, good versatility with this team, but I do think the Villanova is going to be able to get the job done in this spot because I think that they'll do a little bit of a better job of being able to take care of the ball, and it's a UConn team that they can be a little bit hit or miss with regards to some of their jump shooting as well. I did mind saying that total at 134 got a pair of teams that don't allow a ton of points because Villanova plays, so it's slow and UConn in the top 30 with regards points allowed on a per-possession basis. So, semi-total 134 made Villanova a 4.5 point favorite. Now we head to the ACC tournament out there at Barclays Center. 863, 864 on the betting board. Miami and Duke are going to be doing battle. You've got Duke coming in as a nine-point favorite, seeing a couple straight eight and a halfs pop up there as well. Total on this game is pretty much across the board, one fifty, and this is a spot in which I do wind up saying my total at a one forty-seven half. I'm going to be looking at an under. You do have a Duke team that some people do a relatively solid job on defense. That certainly has not necessarily been the forte of this Miami team. Miami, with regards points allowed on a per possession basis, going into yesterday, you were finding them right around two hundred fiftieth. But this is a Duke team that they rank right around fiftieth with this regard, and they've actually done a good job of being able to travel. They only give up right around two points more per winner in possessions when they are on the road rather than at home. Now, what we wanted seeing against Syracuse was not necessarily their finest hour, but with that said, you do have a Duke team that has follow-up You know what you're gonna be able to get out of him. A guy that had a double-double yesterday, 17 points, right around seven and a half boards, able to pop threes for this team. Jeremy Roach has really been able to come along for the ride as well. This is a guy that is only averaging right around eight points per contest, but had 19 off the bench yesterday. So we will give the team double figures and now four out of the last five contests. A guy that He's been able to shoot right around 34% from three-point range. Mark Williams-Elmo is able to give you nearly three blocks per contest. But you do take a look at Miami, and all of a sudden, they've been able to do a little bit of a better job on the glass, and a big reason why the George Mason transfer in Jordan Miller. Miller has been able to give you 10 points, six boards. has done a solid job of being able to give you nearly two steals per contest as well. And speaking of steals, that's where Miami really butters their bread. This is a team that gets nearly nine steals per contest while they only turn the ball over 9.6 times per contest. The turnovers on a per-possession basis in the top 10 in all of college basketball. Duke's a top 20 team with regards to field turnovers on a per-possession basis as well but you wind up seeing it in the time that they wound up going to Cameron Indoor for Miami. Charlie Moore wound up having more steals by himself than Duke was able for its turnovers on Miami. It's a big reason why they were able to get the job done. I think that Charlie Moore going to be key for keeping Miami live in this game. Myself and Jeff are in lockstep with taking the points with Miami in this one because Moore is able to give you right around 12.5 points 4.3 assists, has really been able to do a good job of being able to keep things in line, not turning the ball over a lot, right around 2 per contest. And then you've also got Cam Magussi, Isaiah Wong. These guys give you a combined 33 points, right around 9 boards per contest. And Magussi is able to shoot 37% from 3. It's a Miami team that they shoot 75% at the free line. I do think that things are going to be a little bit more bottled up in this game. I think that Duke is going to want to play some better defense after what wound up happening against Syracuse. And for Miami, they've been a little bit of an improved defensive bunch as well. They wound up having, in regulation and regulation only, i have now given up 72 points or fewer in each other last five contests, so it is a spot in which I'm going to be taking a look at the under, set my total at 147.5 set Miami as a 6.5 point dog, so we're going to be taking a look at the points as well. 865, 866 on the betting board. You've got yourself Virginia Tech, and Virginia Tech is going to be playing against North Carolina. North Carolina just completely plowed Virginia, and this is one in which I'm doing right afterwards, so we've got no numbers up on this game, but with that said, I did wind up saying Virginia Tech is a two-point favorite. They did wind up losing to North Carolina twice during the regular season but I do think that they're going to be able to get their revenge here. This is a Virginia Tech team that is shooting it well from three-point range. 39%, that's in the top ten in all of college basketball. And Darius Maddox, along Sean Bedula, both of these guys shoot above 46% from three. Among qualifying players, they're both in the top 25 in terms of three-point shooting percentage. And Maddox is a guy that I really like. This is someone that has been able to come on strong down the stretch as he's had at least eight points in five of the team's last eight contests. A guy that does a good job of being able to flow the ball. Not necessarily a guy that's going to give you a ton of boards, but that's why you've got Kevin Aluma along Justin Butts combined to be able to give you 26 points, right around 14 boards. Muts is able to give you three assists, a seal per contest, and you've got a Virginia Tech team with Naheem Aleem, along Hunter Couture, combining for about 20 points, and these two guys shoot right around 38% for three-point range. On the flip side for North Carolina, it is a team that they rank outside the top 180 with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis. That certainly went up yesterday after they just completely bludgeoned Virginia. But with that said, with North Carolina, to their credit, if you wind up missing your first shot, you're not going to get a second shot. They rank in the top five in all of college basketball with regards to fewest, Percentage of misses that our opponents are able to haul in for a second chance. And a big reason why Armando Baycote, guy that's able to give you 16.5 points, 12.5 boards, has been just absolutely dominant down low, 1.7 blocks per game. And then you take a look at what you're able to get out there in the backcourt. Caleb Love, RJ Davis, they combine to be able to give you about 28 points per contest. Both of these gentlemen shoot right in the neighborhood about 38% from three-point range. And Brady Manick was really the guy that did it for them yesterday. Guy that's been able to give you right around 14.5 to 15 points per contest, shooting 40% from three-point range. It's been very critical because of Austin Garcia has been missing for much of the campaign for the team and he's been able to step up in a big way so I do think that North Carolina is going to be able to do a solid job there but I think that Virginia Tech going to be able to bury those threes. I do wind up saying my total at a 136 because you've got a North Carolina team that they've been able to do a little bit of a better job on defense here down the stretch. You've got a Virginia Tech team that they rank in the bottom 10 with regards to total possessions per game as well I send these two teams wind up playing 65-57. to 57. North Carolina went 8-22 of 22 from 3. Virginia Tech 5-26 from distance and Virginia Tech actually held their own on the last loss by a couple, but they were certainly able to hang in there and North Carolina was forced into 15 turnovers, so I do think the Virginia Tech gets the shots to drop. I'm setting them as a 2-point favorite and made my total 136. 867, 868 on the bank board. TCU and Kansas are going to be doing battle. Kansas is finding themselves as a 7 and to an 8-point favorite. Your total on this game between 139 and 139.5. I do wind up saying Kansas as a 9-point favorite. I do think that they're going to get their revenge over a TCU team that really has rebounding and nothing else. This is a team that with regards to percentage of their shots that they miss, that they wind up getting a rebound on. They're in the top 5 in all of college basketball, top 10, with regards to overall rebound rate, but you do take a look at what you're able to get down low on this Kansas team, and I think that they're going to be able to do a solid job in this game, as you've got Jalen Wilson coupled with Devin McCormick, both of these guys combined to be able to give you 14 rebounds per game. O'Shea Obagi going to be the best scorer in this game, give you 20 points, 5 boards, guy that's able to shoot 41% from 3-par-inch, and you take a look at him recently. He's been able to do a solid job, We'll be able to help this team out on the glass as well. He's been able to give you 6-plus boards in 3 of the last 5 games, and then you take a look Look at the flip side and what you're able to get out of the CCU team. Mike Miles is really the guy that is trying to generate some offense for them. 15 points per contest. It's a TCU team that has been having their issues on offense, but you take a look at the team on defense, and they've been getting better and better as the season goes along, and this is a team that, with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, they clock in right around 50th, but home in the road, you really don't see a lot of fall off with regards to this team. Eddie Lampkin has been able to give you six rebounds per game, so he's been solid. Chuck O'Bannon is a guy that shoots in the mid-30s from three-par range. able to give you right around eight to nine points per contest, but really past that, you don't have a lot for this team, especially with Damian Baugh giving you right around three and a half turnovers per game. That's going to be a little bit of an issue. I do think the Kansas. Kansas, going to be able to get just enough out of some of these ancillary pieces. Remy Martin has become unreliable for the team, but Christian Braun 15.6 sports to an emphasis, shoots 38% from three. Kansas as a whole, they shoot 36.5% from three, top 20 team with regards to points scored on a per possession basis. I think that after they wound up losing the first time around to TCU and the second time around, they allowed TCU to hang in there despite the fact that TCU, which is 4 of 16 from three and jet, they'll be able to put some separation between they and the Horn Frogs in this one. This is pretty much a home game for them out there at the the, uh, Sprint Center, I believe it is, out there in Missouri, so I do think that this is going to be a good spot for Kansas to set them as a 9-point favorite, so I'm going to be willing to lay it. Also, they want to make my total 137. Kansas has been improving quite a bit on defense, so we're looking at the under, and we're looking at Kansas. 869, 870 on the betting board. You've got Oklahoma, and they're going to be taking on Texas Tech. No norm is up on this game. Texas Tech wound up completely housing Iowa State to get here, by the way. It's a mobile Center that they're doing battle in, in Kansas City, Missouri, not the I think I called it Sprint Center or something like that, but you do take a look at this spot, and I they wind up saying Texas Tech is a seven and a half point favorite. This is a team that is completely dominant on defense and you take a look at both of these teams. They're relatively solid on defense. Texas Tech, a top 10 team with regards points allowed on a per possession basis and a team that has really been able to travel with that regard. You take a look at Oklahoma. It's been a little bit of a work in progress for this team. They're more around 66th in the country with regards points allowed on a per possession basis and I think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue coupled with the fact that Oklahoma doesn't do a great job of being able to take care of the ball. This is a team that they turn the ball over right around 15 times for contest. Tanner Groves, it will give you 12.5 points, five and a half ports. Guy that shoots 38% for three-point range along through Obasha Gibson and Jordan Goldwire. So a good job will be able to facilitate some offense. Serena Ephesus, 1.6 steals per game. And you do take a look at this Oklahoma team. Four of your top five scores do give you at least a steal per game including Jalen Hill. they so will give you 9.6 boards and it is going to be an Oklahoma bunch that is going to have a tough time with Texas Tech, in my opinion, because Texas Tech does such a good job with regards to just team scoring. You've got one guy in Bryson Williams who really takes hold. 14 points, 4.5 boards, he's 43% from points inches, a six-foot-eight combo player, but take a look at it. Terrence Shannon, Kevin McCuller, along Davion Warren. I'll give you between 10 and 10.5 10 points for contest. McCuller just makes winning plays for you. 5 rebounds, 3 assists, 1.5 steals per game, so he's been rock solid there. Then you take a look at the Texas Tech team, man. I mean, it's It is relatively pedestrian on offense shooting 31.5% for three on the road. They just don't wind up being able to have the same offense as they do at home but you just take a look at what they wound up doing to Iowa State yesterday and Iowa State just could absolutely get nothing generated whatsoever shooting sub 33% from the floor and it's a Texas Tech team that all of a sudden they've been able to get just a little bit more out of Kevin O'Banner, a guy that's able to give you right around 10 points per contest. I do think that in this spot, Oklahoma is just going to have a tough time being able to take care of the ball in general. You take a look at the last time these two teams wound up playing Oklahoma wound up getting housed by Texas Tech by kind of of 66-42 and I do think that you could see some Something relatively similar here. I did wind up setting Oklahoma as a a 7.5 point underdog. And when it comes to the spot with the total, set it at a 125.5. 871, 872 on the bank board. We are out there to the Big Sky Tournament as you've got Montana State. And they're going to be facing off against Weber State. This is out here in Boise, Idaho. As you've got Montana State. Find themselves anywhere between a 1.5 and a a 2 point favorite. And your total on this game is 143. And I'm seeing straight 142.5 out there as well. And with Montana State, set them at 1.5. 1.5 1.5 would be the max I'm willing to lay. Right now, we're seeing some tubes pop up, and at 2, I'm going to be willing to take the points with Weaver State. Don't necessarily want them on the money line, but I do think that this is going to be a relatively tight game. You do have a Weaver State team that has been able to do a good job of being able the road so far this year. Their home and road splits are actually one of the better offenses on the road with regards to points scored on a per-possession basis, so I find that to be something that you're able to look to in this fight, and when it comes to Weaver State, you're going to have Kobe McKeown out there, and Kobe McKeown, I think, is going to be the best offensive player in this game. A guy that wants to transfer for him from Marquette has been able to give you 18 points. Mid-30s three-point shooter. That gives you four and a half boards. A little bit over a seal and a half per contest as well. Has had 17 plus points at each other the last five games for this team. Meanwhile, you take a look at what you're able to get out of Montana State and Xavier Bishop as we able to do a very solid job of being able to double out the ball. 13 and a half points. Right around 4.3 assists per game. A guy that has been able to shoot right around 34 and a half percent from three-point range and has really reined it in recently. Three turnovers or fewer in four out of the last five games. You've got a Minuma. Adamu, who's been able to give you 11.5 points per contest, you shoot 39.5 for three. Montana State as whole, they shoot 36.5 percent from three, 75 percent the free line. They do turn the ball over though 13 times per contest. You take a look at Weaver State, and I think that they should be able to do a solid job on the glass with Dylan Jones giving you 12 points, 10 and a half rebounds for game. Dante Bass, it doesn't necessarily give you a ton of boards, but it's able to give you a block per game down low. It's a Weaver State team that has been shooting overall for the year right around 34 percent from three, but more like 37, 38 percent from three point range when they hit the road. And Siku Sichu Jawara. Has been a big reason why he's able to shoot right around 43% from three point range. Has been rock solid with that regard and on the road shoots well over 45% from distance. Has been a little bit more bottle up in these last few games, but still has been able to get the team three plus assists in each of the team's last five contests. I do think that Weaver State going to be able to hold in this game. I think that it's going to be relatively tight with Brian Obello doing a solid job down the floor, Montana State 13 and half points, seven boards per game. And then you've also got a guy in Abdul Mohammed who's been able to do a good job with 8.6 half boards, shoots 45% from three point range. I think they you're going to get some scoring in this game. Despite some tired likes, set this out at a 144.5. I'm looking at the over. And with Weaver State, set them as a, a 1.5 point underdog. So 2 plus, going to be one takes the some points. We move on to 873, 874 on the betting board, staying out there in the Big Skies tournament. You've got Portland State, and they're going to be taking on Northern Colorado. Currently, no numbers up on this game, but with Northern Colorado, it's going to be really intriguing to see what we wind up getting out of this team, that they wind up shooting from three-point range right around 38.5% as a collective. But they rank outside the top 300 with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, and this is a Portland State team that, when they wound up facing off against Northern Colorado about a month or so ago, they won a 106-99 to game, so while I do think that Northern Colorado should be a favorite, I can only set them here as a three-point favorite, because this is a Portland State team that they've been able to improve dramatically with regards to just their overall play with Portland State. This is a bunch that, overall for the year, they're shooting about 30% from three-point range, but over the last 35 days, more in the mid-30s from three-point range, James G. Maria has been out of the fold for the scene, but Khalid Tommy Thomas, Ezekiel Elliott, along Damian Squire. All these guys have been able to combine for about 39 points per contest. Alley has been able to give you right around 33%, three-point shooting. All these guys combine to shoot about 77% at the free-throw line. Thomas is able to give you six boards, two seals per contest, and that really has been the lifeblood of Portland State. Being able to generate right around nine seals per game, they were able to just completely punk Southern Utah yesterday. That was a 77-65 final in which you wound up having some very good facilitation out of Michael Carter III. Michael Carter III comes in from Long Beach State. Just a a very much guy that does winning play. 6 foot 5 combo player. 10 points. 2.5 boards. 2.5 assists per game. Has really been able to rein it in on the road with regards to 3 point shooting as well. Away from Portland he is shooting nearly 40% from 3 point range. It's a Northern Colorado team that they've got Drew Cookshausen. He's able to get a cook in. He's able to shoot 43% for three, 86 percent for free time with 11 points per contest. Bodie Hume. 11 and a half points. 6 boards. I like his game. And then Dallin Counts along with Matt Johnson combined to shoot about 40.5% from 3 point range. Counts is able to give you 21 points. 4 boards. And then Johnson right around 14 points, 3.5 rebounds, but Kerr Junkic is 8.5 rebounds per game. It's solid, but Portland State, they do a little bit of a better job of rebounding by committee. I do think that Northern Colorado is going to be able to get the job done because they do have just a sheer 3-point shooting. And it is a Portland State team that they can be a little bit touch and go with regards to their outside shooting, but I do think that this is going to be a relatively tight game. I did wind up setting my total at a 151, so we're placing that there, and with Portland State wanting to making them a 3-point underdog. As we move on to 875-876 on the banking board, we head out to the back 12 tournament out here in lovely Las Vegas. It is Colorado and Arizona who are going to be doing battle. Arizona's finding themselves a 9.5 to a 10 point favorite. Your on this game, you're finding it at a 148 to a 148.5 last time these two teams wound up playing. Arizona was able to get to 65. I believe that that was their lowest scoring output of the entire season. I think that they're going to be able to do a little bit of better job in this spot, and even without Kukarisa in the fold, I do mind up saying Arizona as an 11.5 point favorite. This is an Arizona team that I think that they should be able to do a solid job. of be able to bottle up, a Colorado team that impact 12 play. They've been able to shoot right around 37% from 3 point range. That's pretty much a top mark out there in the conference, and you do have Jabari Walker, the son of Samaki Walker, who's been able to give you right around 15 points, 9.5 points per contest. And for Colorado, it is a team that they do shoot five nine percent at the free throw line, to their credit. Each of their top six scores do shoot at least 75% at the free throw line. Evan Batty, 12 points, nine boards. Shoots 52% from three-point range, but I think that they're going to get bludgeoned on the glass. You've got Walker being the only guy that gives you at least five rebounds per game, and even without Kirk Risa you've got a guy that I really like being able to run the show in Dallon Terry. For Arizona, he's been able to give you 7.5 points, five boards, four assists. You've got to figure that he's going to have the ball in his hands a little bit more in that win against... Stanford. He wound up having just 7 points to assist, but you take a look at him. Very good mixer and shaker for this team. Able to give you a little bit over a seal per contest. Arizona, one of the few teams in all of college basketball. They rank in the top 10 with regards points scored and points allowed on a per-possession basis. Ben Mather, 17.5 points per contest. Shoots 38% from three-point range. And a bigger reason why in my opinion Arizona wound up losing when they wound up pitting the road against Colorado a, about two weeks ago is because Christian Coloco got in foul trouble, and I think that he's really the key to this team. 12 points, 7 boards, 2.8 blocks per contest as long as he stays out of foul trouble, and I think that he's going to be able to do so in this game. This should be an Arizona team that should be able to get their revenge on this Colorado bunch. With Colorado, I do think that you're going to be able to have Tristan De Silva do a relatively solid job in this game. Six eight combo player, 9 points, shoots 39% from 3-point range, but I do take a look at this Arizona team. Even without Kirk Carissa, I think that they're going to be able to off the ball. You do have a Colorado team that they've been relatively solid on offense recently being able to put up 84 points against Utah, and then they put up 80 yesterday against Oregon, but Arizona, a top 10 team with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis. They had given up 71 points or fewer in their previous three games prior to what we wound up seeing against Sanford and Colorado. So a team that had scored 70 or fewer in now uh, three out of their last six games as well. I think that things are going to be a little bit more tight in this game set this total 147.5 diving under and with Arizona made them an eleven-half point favorite so won't lay the points. 877-878 on the betting board. USC and UCLA are going to be doing battle. Currently no numbers up on this game but I've got a line on this one as I wound up saying USC as an underdog here of 4.5 points. Last time these two teams wound a meeting, well you only have to go back about a week ago and in that spot you wound up seeing UCLA be able to get the job done at home but you wound up seeing no cover in that game as it was a 75-68 to 68 game. The line was right around 8 and I do think that it's relatively in line with what you should be seeing here. It is a UCLA team that is dealing with a little bit of an injury to Johnny Juzang has been playing but hasn't necessarily been fully 100%. Meanwhile you take a look at this USC bunch. You don't have to have your trepidations late in game with regards to their free throw shooting. This is a team that overall for the season, they do shoot right around 67.5% at the free throw line, but with that said, they've been able to do a little bit better job since back 12 play has begun. I do think that they're going to be able to hold up in the backcourt. Drew Peterson, Boogie Ellis, great name on Peterson. They're able to combine for about 25 points per contest. Peterson shoots worth of 41% from three. Boogie Ellis shoots more around 36% from long range. It is a USC team that you would expect a little bit more from them on defense because this is a team that they've got Isaiah Mobley, he's able to do a terrific job for the team. 14 points, eight boards. He's a guy that stands right around six foot ten and shoots in the high thirties from three point range. But is a team that with regards to points a lot on a per possession basis. They rank 53rd. But this disclaimer needs to be in there: giving up fewer points on a per possession basis on the road rather than at home. This is a UCLA team that they're in the top 25 with the to points a lot on a per possession basis. They've been able to do a very solid job. I do like what you've been able to get out of Jules Bernard along with Jaime Hawkes. was a guy that was really able to get it done for the team yesterday as he wound up having 23 points, and you do take a look at both of these guys. They do both give you right around 12 points per contest. Hawkins is able to chip in their six boards, and Miles Johnson so we will give you a block and a half down low, but I do think that with having this USC backcourt, that has been able to come along for the ride at Chavez Goodwin, being able to chip in their six rebounds per game that USC is going to be able to hold in there. You've got a UCLA team that does a good job of being able to value the ball. Nine and a half or per game that ranks in the top ten in all of college basketball, so I do think that you're going to see a rather buttoned up game. I do think that things are going to be rather tight with both of these defenses, so I did wind up saying my total here at a, 134 and a half. I did wind up saying UCLA as a 4.5 point favorite. 879, 880 on the betting board. New Mexico State and Grand Canyon going to be doing battle out here in lovely Las Vegas. This is at the Orleans. No numbers up on this game. You wind up having Grand Canyon just be able to survive in advance to be able to make it to this round. And With Grand Canyon, I think that they're going to get their revenge on New Mexico State. I wind up saying them as a two-point favorite. Grand Canyon, a top 15 team in all of college basketball with regards to points allowed on a per possession basis, and you take a look the backcourt of the team. Javon Blackshear, Hall and Boo Woods, they combined to be able to give you 30 points, 7 assists, and you've got these two guys combined to shoot about 39% per 3 point range. Now you've got a little bit more rebounding with the team as well. Gabe McLaughlin, Ivan Odoyogo had been able to give you a combined 13.3 rebounds per game. Then on the flip side, New Mexico State is a team that does a relatively solid job on the glass. They're a team that they do wind up giving themselves quite a few second chances, but with that said, what is really impressive, Teddy Allen, 19.5 points, 7 boards, 2.5 assists, guy that doesn't necessarily shoot a great from three-point range, New Mexico State. They shoot right around 32.5% from three-point range, but with that said, we've got some good support around them, as you have got Will McNair Jr., Johnny McCants, along with Serge Jabari Rice, I'll give you between 4.8 and 5.5 rebounds per game. It's a New Mexico State team that, with regards to points allowed on a per-possession basis, this is a team that they're not quite as impressive as what you're going to be finding out of Grand Canyon, but they're still in the top 50. You'll be able to have Rice be able to give you right around 12 points per contest with this... New Mexico State team as well. I do like the fact that Donnie Tillman is able to give you a little bit of versatility as well. He's a guy that has been in and out of the fold for the team, of coming back the last few games for the team, so that should be able to help them out a little bit, but with that said, I do think the Grand Canyon has the chops to be able to get the job done in this spot. You are going to need to try to get just a little bit more out of someone like a Tyshawn Cherry, who's been relatively pedestrian this year, coming in from Arizona State, only about 4.5 points, three boards per contest, but if he's able to get going, that's going to be big. I think the Grand Canyon has just enough depth to be able to Match up with New Mexico State and the front end talent in the backcourt to get the job done. Set my total at 132 and me Grand Canyon a two point favorite. 881, 882 on the bang board. Abilene Christian is going to be t- facing off with Seattle. No numbers up on this game doing this just after Abilene Christian was able to get the job done to survive in advance but with that said, I did wind up setting my total at a 140 and a half and I did wind up making Abilene Christian a two and a half point favorite. Abilene Christian in the top 15 and all of college basketball in terms of steals per game. You take a look at the Seattle team and they've been able to do a very solid job at defense. This is is A team that they rank in the top 40 in all of college basketball in terms of points allowed on a per possession basis, and they do a solid job with regards to their backcourt. As you've got on Tremel, who does it all 16 and a half points, five assists, two and a half seals per contest, shoots 35% from three point range. He, Cam Tyson, Riley Grigsby, your top three scorers with Tyson and Grigsby combined for 28 points per contest. All three of these guys they shoot at least 80% of the free throw line. Tyson is the best three point shooter at 37.5% from distances, they will give you right around five and a half points per game. Grigsby gives you 13 points per game. Big thing is, what are you going to be able to get out of the ancillary pieces for this team? You've been able to have six and a half points, five and a half points out of Emeka Odeni. He's been able to do a relatively solid job out there in the post. You've got Victor Rogovic, who's been able to give you 4.4 4 points, right around four and a half boards per contest. has been able to give you six plus rebounds in each out of the last three games, but gets into a lot of fellow trouble. That's a little bit of an issue for the Seattle team. And then you take a look at Abilene Christian, and it really is a case in which the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. Arian Simmons is the only guy that gives you more than four and a half rebounds per game, right around 11 and a half points. He's been able to chip in there right around 6 rebounds per game, and then you take a look at Corey on Mason. 12 points, he's able to shoot 35.5% from 3-point range. It's a Evelyn Christian team as a whole. They shoot 75% of the free line with pretty much 9-10 guys being able to rotate in and out, so that's rather impressive. Damian Daniels is able to give you 3.5 assists to 1.3 turnovers per game. Evelyn Christian, 12.5 turnovers per game with the way that they wind up playing at a top 75 pace, and really both of these teams do play at that pace. It is something that I think is very intriguing. It's a Seattle team that they've been able to do a relatively Solid job on defense recently, so they've been throttling down just a tad. As last time that they wanted giving up more than seventy points in a contest, you have to go all the way back to when they wanted playing against New Mexico State. That was on the fifth of February, so I do think that that is a little bit of an interesting nugget, but you take a look at Abilene Christian, this is a team that they are really rolling on offense as well, so you've got sort of the opposites attract sort of thing here, because it's an Abilene Christian team that they've been able to score at least 71 points in all but one of their games ever since beginning of the month of February. As a result, set my total at a 140 and a half, and I do want to say Abilene Christian as a two and a half point favorite. 883, 884 on the betting board, you've got yourself UC Santa Barbara and Long Beach State as We've got the Big West semifinals out here in Henderson, Nevada, and it's, you've got UC Santa Barbara finding themselves anywhere between a one and F and a two point favorite. And Your total on this game is saying' between one thirty nine and F, seeing straight thirty nine out there as well. And this is a spot in which I do mind saying my total at one thirty six F. I'm diving under, and I want to make Long Beach State the favorite. With Long Beach State, I've been incredibly impressed by what I've seen out of the backcourt of this team. They're a team that they play relatively up tempo. They're in the top six seat with regards to possessions per game, and they are also a bunch that with Regards to points allowed on a per possession basis have been really improving. They were outside the top 250 out of conference. In conference, they've been more in the top 100. do Trayer able to give you eight and half points, eight boards per game down low, along with the block and half per contest. But then Joel Murray, along Collins later, they combined to be able to give you a little bit over 30 points, 5.8 ish assists per contest. Later, he's able to shoot 40% per 3 point range. Both of these guys, along with their number three guard, that would be Mr. Jaden Jones, are able to shoot above 82.5% at the free-throw line. Jones is able to give you 10 and a half points per contest. Then you take a look at the flip side for this UC Santa Barbara team. Amandu Sal has been able to give you 16 points, 8 boards. He shoots right around 30% from 3-point range, but you've been able to get quite a bit out of A.J. Mitchell along with Miles Norris. Both of these guys shoot right around 35% from 3 on. All three of these guys, Sal along with Mitchell and Norris, shoot above 74% of the free-throw Santa Barbara as a whole. They are turning the ball for 13 and a half times per contest, but they've been able to bottle things up a little bit more recently. You've been able to get some good defense out of this team as well. you can get a combined 2.5 steals out of Calvin Weissart while pierre Louis is a relatively deep Santa Barbara team, but it is also, also a Santa Barbara team that, outside of what you're able to get out of Miles Norris, who's able to give you 5.5 rebounds per game, he's the only guy, aside from Sal, that's able to give you more than 4.2 rebounds per game, so I do think that that's going to be a little bit of an issue. I do think that Santa Barbara is going to get a little bit out of source. I do think that they're going to turn the ball over against a Long Beach State team that they don't necessarily do a tremendous job of being able to pickpocket, but I do think the Long Beach State gets revenge on the game that these two teams wound up playing in February. That was a game which Santa Barbara shot 56% from the floor. They want to get the job done by kind of 84 to 71. And I do think that Long Beach State is going to be able to have a little bit more outside of Collins Slater at 28 points. Really, nobody else did anything for this Long Beach State team, and they were dealing with injuries. Now they're a little bit healthier. So I am going to be one take Long Beach State on the money line. Semi-total total 136.5. So I have an under as well. Hawaii and Kelsey Fullerton do battle 885, 886. Kelsey Fullerton, I want to making a four point favorite. Currently doing this with no numbers currently up on this game. But I do take a look at this Fullerton team, and I do think that they should be able to control things down low because. With Fullerton, you've got E.J. Onasicki, who's been absolutely amazing for the team all season long. A guy that's able to give you 13.5 points, is able to chip in their 8.5 boards per contest. They are going to be going up against an Hawaii team that they were able to survive in advance against UC Riverside yesterday by a count of 68-67 to 67. in that contest. Hawaii wound up going 6-17 to 17 from 3 point range. Big thing for the team is that they're without their top scorer in Noah Coleman, though. Coleman is a guy that's able to give you 15 points per contest. He's been shooting right around 40% for three-point range now. Jerome series, along with Bernardo De Silva, have both been tremendous for the team down low with the series. 14 points, 12 boards, to be able to bring the team to victory yesterday. Overall for the season, these two guys combined average 13 rebounds, 21 points per contest. Junior Mado to be able to shoot 40% for three-point range. Overall for the year, Hawaii's shooting 36% for three, right around 73.5% at the free-throw line. Now, the big thing with Hawaii is that they do rank at the bottom 75 with regards to possessions per game, and yet, they are a team that they commit right around 13 turnovers per contest. That's not NC2 terrific. You do have a Fullerton team that they've been able to do a little bit of a better job of pickpocketing recently. Damari Milseed winds up coming in from San Francisco. So they will give you two steals per contest, shooting right around 32.5% from three, 11.3 points per contest. Now, it's a Fullerton team that they rank at the bottom 50 in all of college basketball in terms of three point shooting percentage. You're only shooting as a collective right around 31% from three points. And you will note that this is a Fullerton team that they've really slowed down their tempo. They're right around 286 in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game. And it's been an interesting team on defense. They're right around 150th with regards to points allowed under per possession basis Why They may get the top 100, but what I do think is going to be able to put this Fullerton team over the top is what you've been able to get out of Vincent Lee. 8.5 points, six and a half boards. He's been able to do a solid job down low, and now you've all of a sudden got a little bit more 3-point shooting out of Jalen Harris. Harris is a guy that has been a little bit up and down this season. You take a look at his last 5 games. 8-8, eight, 3-14 eight, and 2 points, but he's been able to shoot right around 42% from 3-point range, so I do think that his outside shooting is going to be very key for Fullerton in this spot, and as a result, I did want to say Fullerton as a four-point favorite with Y being a little bit short-handed. Also did want to making my total 132 with a pair of teams that rank outside the top 250 with regards possessions per game. 887-888 on the betting board. Wyoming is going to be taking on Boise State out at the Thomas Max Center in lovely Las Vegas. You've got Boise State find themselves between a two and two-and-a-half point favorite. Thrall scheme is 128-and-a-half of 129. We've got the flipper Rooney going on here I set Wyoming as a two point favorite so I'm going to take a shot on them as a money line underdog you've got a pair of teams that have been able to do a solid job of being able to play relatively controlled Wyoming though they do a solid job with regards to their offensive efficiency this is a team that they rank right around 260th with regards to total possessions per game and then you take a look at Boise State this is a Broncos team that they rank right around 329th with regards to total possessions per game and Boise State has really been able to do a good job with their defense 22nd in the country with regards points allowed under per possession basis allowing one more point per 100 possessions when they're in a road in neutral. Court environment rather than when they are at home. And with Wyoming, they actually give up fewer points on the road than they do at home on a per possession basis, which I find that to be very intriguing. As a result, I did want to send my total more around 126. You do have a Wyoming team, though, that I think they're going to be able to get the job done because you do have a pair of guys, Graham Ek, along with Hunter Maldonado, and these guys have really been able to take over the show for this team. They combine to be able to give you right around 38 points per contest. Ek is able to give you nine and a half boards. Maldonado, six foot seven point guard, that tools out six and a half assists per game. He does. The ball for three and a half times per game, but Wyoming they're in the bottom 25 with regards to field turnovers on per possession basis. You've got a Wyoming team that shoot right around 34.9% per three point range. You're going to need Drake Jeffries to get going, doesn't necessarily shoot the same on the road as he does at home on the road, mid 33 point shooter. So a little bit of an issue there, but a guy that has been able to do a good job on the glass, four plus fours and now far the team's last five games really does not turn it over. And then you take a look at boys, you see this is a team that they've got a pair of guys and Emmanuel Aykot, a taste of DJ They that combine for 20 and half points per contest, combined to shoot about 40% per three-point range. Marcus Shaver Jr. also shoots 38% from three with right around 14 points per game, but the free-throw shooting of Boise State, that is an issue. They shoot 64.5% of the charity stripe now, but Leighton Armas is able to give you right around eight and a half rebounds per game, gives you a block per game, so that's relatively rock solid, but the last time these two teams wound up playing, it was Wyoming, who was able to get the job done. That was by a count of 72 to 65 in that game. You wound up having Boise State go 6 of 24 from three-point despite turning the ball over just six times. They couldn't force any Wyoming turnovers either. I think that Wyoming is going to be be. be able to play even upslash, win the battle on the glass. I do think that Hunter Maldonado is going to be able to go into takeover mode in this game as well. Set Wyoming as a two-point favorite. We'll take them on the money line, and I'm going to be taking a look at this total under. This is the last normal game on the Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra games, as we've got 889, 890 on the betting board. It is San Diego State, and they are going to be taking on Colorado State. No numbers currently up on this game doing this just after San Diego State was able to get the job done and was able to survive and advance against Fresno State. The spot in which I do wind up San Diego State as a two-point favorite. San Diego State, first time they wanted up playing against Colorado State, they were able to house them. Second time around, they wound up losing by one point in a game that did wind up seeing a pretty epic melt job. But you did take a look at the way that San Diego State is playing, and I do like what you've been able to get out of Matt Bradley. Matt Bradley is going to be able to go bombs away from three-point range. A guy that has been able to give the San Diego State team right around forty-five percent three-point shooting ever since the beginning of the month of December. And Guy that's been able to give you 16 points per contest. So he's been rock solid there. You've been able to get a little bit more recently out of Chad Baker Mazar. A guy that's only been able to give you right around six and a half points per contest, but wanted coming up big double figures yesterday. A guy that has been really able to go off and have some good performances recently. At least eight points in four of the team's last six contests. Guy that stands right around six foot seven, not necessarily lighting the world on fire with regards to three-point shooting, but shoots right around 39% from three-point range. You've also got Trey Ponium, a guy that's able to give you eight points right around four assists per contest. And then you've also got Nathan Menza down low. I think that it's very big that he's able to give this team right around 7.5 boards, 7.5 points per game. One of the better and more underrated rim protectors that you're finding in all of college basketball. Meanwhile, with Kyle State, you do have David Roddy, and he's able to get Rowdy. A guy that's able to give you 19 points, 8.5 boards, a guy that from 3-point range, shooting 46% from 3. Now, you do want to know, John J just does not wind up shooting it the same when he is on the road rather than at home. This is a guy that at home, shooting 46% from 3-point range, mid-30s, three point shooter when he's on the road. able to give you 10 points per contest. Isaiah Stevens has been absolutely amazing at the point guard spot for this Colorado State team. Colorado State, one of the most efficient teams at all of college basketball. Top 20 with regards point to point squared on a per possession basis. They only turn the ball over 10 times per contest. That ranks in the top 15 in all of college basketball. Stevens is the main ringleader of this. 5 assists, 14.5 points per contest, so he's able to do a solid job, but really, other than Roddy, you don't have a single guy that gives you more than 4.5 rebounds per game. Chandler Jacobs next with 4.2 rebounds per game, and then after him, you've got Nobody else giving you more than 3.3 rebounds per game. I think that San Diego State is going to be able to do a good job of being able to rebound by committee. Set my total here at 126.5. I think that San Diego State, the number one team in all of college basketball, figures points a lot on per possession basis. Going to be able to hold down Colorado State. I do think San Diego State gets the job done. Made them a two-point favorite. That'll do it for the normal Las Vegas betting board. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today, so we go into the bonus. We go in Las Vegas' rotation order with these as well. 3 6 forty one six 142 Grambling and Texas Southern are going to be doing battle out there in Birmingham, Alabama as Texas Southern, and a half to a seven point favorite. Total setting board team, 133 and 134.5. And with Grambling, I do wind up setting them as a five point underdog. This is a Texas Southern team that they're going to be able to do a solid job on the glass. You've got a guy Bryson Gresham who winds up coming in from Houston, actually saw some starts for their final four team. He's able to give you 7.75 boards. is able to give you a block per contest. So he's able to do a solid job there. And then you do take a look at what you've been able to get out of John Walker in the 30s. They will give you double figure shoots in the mid 30s from three point range. But with that said, you take a look at the flip side for Grambling. And even though they have been turned the ball over right around 16 times for contest. They've been able to bottle things up a little bit more recently, and what I think is going to be very key for this team, being able to get a little bit of 3-point shooting in their win against Southern, they only wound up going 3 of 15 from 3-point range, but you do have a guy in Prince Boss that seems to be refining his form a little bit, a guy that last season wound up shooting 46% from 3-point range this year, just 30% from distance, but you take a look at the scoring, and it is certainly on the up and up. He's been able to give the team at least 11 points in each of the team's last 5 contests has had in that span 6 turnovers in those 6 games as well and then you've been able to get a little bit more down low out of Amari McRae. McCray is a guy that only gives you right around 6.3.5 rebounds per game, but has been a little bit more dominant down low for the team. wound we'll up having a combined 22 rebounds in the last four contests for this team. A guy that does wind up getting into a little bit of foul trouble, but then you take a look at Texas Southern. Yahuza Razes is able to give you right around 5 rebounds per game, but take a look at Texas Southern as well. They themselves have a little bit of a tough time being able to take care of the ball. They only generate right around 5.5 steals per game while turning the ball over 15 times per game and they shoot 66.5% the free line. Grambling, not necessarily prolific with regards to their free throw shooting, but they shoot right around 71% the free throw line. And Cam Christian, giving you 13 half points on over 41% three-point shooting, I think is going to be good enough for Grambling to be able to hold in this game. I think that's going to be a little bit lower scoring. Texas Southern is a team that they rank outside the top 200 with regards to possessions per game. Grambling, a team that's looking to go a little bit more up-tempo. They rank more around 70th with this regard. I do think that things are going to be a little bit slower. I think that both of these teams could have a tough time being able to get their offense going. So, this is the spot in which I'm looking at the under. I want I'm saying my total, 133. Texas Southern is a five-point favorite as well, so take a look at the points as well. 3-6, 143, 3 144. Elkhorn State and Alabama a and are doing battle. No numbers currently up on this game as Alabama A&M in advance against Florida a to be able to get into this round, but... With Alcorn State, I do mind seeing them as a 5.5 point favorite. This is an Alcorn State team that it certainly is a case in which the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. You don't have a single guy that really gives you more than 10.5 points per game and that would be Justin Thomas that has been able to headline this offense. He's been able to do a good job as the main point guard of the team comes in from Moorhead State. 10.3 points, 3.5 boards, 4 assists. Not necessarily a great 3 point shooter, but at the same time, has been able to do a good job of being able to cut down on the turnovers with right around 2.5 per contest. You take a look at what you're able to get down low out of the team and Lionel Henry has been a good combo player. Eight and a half points Five and a half boards. She's 42% per three point range as a six foot eight combo player. You've got a pair of guys and Dominique Bruton, a couple of Darius Agnew, who are able to combine for about 10 rebounds per game. Both of these guys give you between eight and a half and nine points per game as well. Alcorn State, they should have a collective about 32% per three, 69.5% at the free throw line. And you really take a look at both of these teams, and both have been halfway decent on defense. It's been Alabama AM, who's been a little bit more stifling, right around 55th in the country with regards to possessions per game. Alcorn State, they rank more around 200th. But with this Alabama AM team, it's a team in which you really have two guys that wind up scoring for you, and then from there, you really don't get much else. You've got Jalen Johnson coupled with Darius Six, These two guys combined to be able to give you 30.5 points per contest. With Johnson, he's a guy that has been able to do a good job down low with seven rebounds per game, but he's the only guy on the team that gives you more than four and a half rebounds per game. We've got a pair of guys in Cameron Tucker, coupled with Dallin Smith, that both give you 8.1 points and combine for eight and a half rebounds per game. And with Tucker, he does give you four assists per game, but it's an Alabama a and team that they commit right around 13.5 turnovers for contest. They generate seven and a half steals per game, they shoot 27% from three-point range, 38% from before. That's one of the worst marks in all of college basketball. I think that you get a little bit more of a grimy game, but I do think that you will wind up getting a little bit of late-game following as well. I think that Alcorn State as a collective is going to be able to come through in this spot, so State is a 5.5 point favorite, made by total 125.5 as well. We move on to 3 of 6, 145, 3 of 6, 146. You've got Morgan State, and they are going to be taking on Norfolk State. Norfolk State is finding themselves a 5.5 to a 6 point favorite, as this is out here at Scope Arena in Norfolk, Virginia. And your are total on this game in between 140 and a half at 142 and take a look at the run that Morgan State has been able to go on and it's been relatively solid. They've been able to cover five out of their last seven games after they were looking like the worst cover team in all of college basketball for Morgan State. You don't necessarily have that one headline score unlike last year. Datorian Ware last year was giving the team right around 20 points per contest. He's down to more like 11 points at five boards per game this season, but I will say ever since Malik Miller has gotten back in the fold, this has been a completely different Morgan State team as he's been able to give the team at least 14 points and now three of the team's last four contests has been dominant on the glass averaging nearly 9 rebounds per game 6 foot 4 combo player that really doesn't shoot threes as well. Morgan State is collective. They shoot half percent from 3, 68% at the free-throw line but they're doing a good job being able to generate 8.5 seals per conscious. You've got 5 different guys that give you at least a steal per game and you've got your sharpshooter in Isaiah Burke giving you a steal half per game. Guy that's able to shoot about 38.5% from three. inch now. He does shoot just 60% at the free-throw line and you take a look at Norfolk State. This is a team that they do rank in the top 65 with yards points allowed on a per possession basis but they're also going up against a Morgan State team that they always dictate the tempo number one in all of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game with Norfolk State. Got a pair of guys in like Christian, Ingstein, and Tate. They combined to be able to give you 19.5 points per contest. They combined to shoot about 44% for three-part range to Brian Jr., coupled with Jalen Hawkins. everybody combine for 29.5 points per game. Brian Jr., 3.3 assists, 92% free throw shooter, but Norfolk State, they do shoot just 69% of the free throw line. They commit right around 14 turnovers per game themselves. They do generate seven seals, so that's halfway decent. Christian and probably going to be the best pure low post player in this game. 11.3 points, seven boards. He's able to shoot 71% from the floor while he was at Little Rock during the 2018 19 season. What all qualifying players with regards to field goal shooting percentage. But I do think that Morgan State has been able to turn over a new leaf. This is a Morgan State team that they've really been able to push their offense 76 plus points in far their last five games. Last time these two teams wound up playing, it was Morgan State who wound up getting the job done by a count of 85 to 74. I believe that that was a neutral court game. And in that game, Norfolk State won just 7 to 25 from three par inch. I think that they'll be a little bit warmer in this spot, but Morgan State won the turnover battle. I think that they'll do that once. Once again, they wind up setting my total at a 148 in this spot, so I'm looking at the over with Morgan State being number one in regards to possessions per game, and I want up setting Norfolk State as a four-point favorite, so take a look at the points. We move on to three 306, 147, six 148. NC Central and State are going to be doing battle. I wound up setting NC Central as a five-point favorite. Personally, we've got no numbers currently up on this game, but I take a look at State. and the good news for this team is that they've got their top scorer back. Jesse Zarzula, a guy that's able to give you 14 and a half points, 3 assists per contest. He's been back for this team for now just one game. He wound up returning in the game against Howard. Looked relatively pedestrian though. He had 8 points and wound up committing 7 turnovers in a grimy game that they wound up playing out against Howard. like out of 59-57. to 57. You got a pair of teams that they rank in the top 40 with regards to total possessions per game, but for NC Central, I think that they're going to be able to do a relatively solid job on defense in this spot. It's a compensate team that they're right around the middle of the country with regards points a lot on a per possession basis, but 13 more points per 100 possessions given up in road and neutral court environments rather than at home and then you take a look at NC Central. It's a team that they travel relatively well with regards to home and road splits more around 160th with regards points a lot on a per possession basis but what NC Central does a good job of is being able to generate turnovers. They get nearly 9 steals per contest and Eric Boone is a big reason why. This is a gentleman that has been able to give the team 9.5 points, 4.5 boards, 3.7 assists, chips in their 2.5 steals per contest. It's an NC Central bunch that only shoots 67% of the free throw line, more like 30 3 percent from three-point range. Randy Miller Jr. along with Justin Wright have been the main headliners on this offense with 25 points per contest. You've got Wright shooting 44% from three-point range, and then Chris Monroe, good versatile big man, 10.5 points, six and half boards, 36% three-point shooter. So I do think that they are going to be able to get the job done, especially with having Tyree Corbett currently on the full for compensate. He's a guy that's saying six foot seven. He is just so banged up that he's unable to play. They tried to give him a go a couple weeks ago, wound up having zero points, zero boards, zero assists in 13 minutes, and that's bad because he was averaging a double-digit. Amount of rebounds in MIAC play overall for this season 13 points, nine boards, and a block per game. So, compensate is going to be vulnerable inside set NC Central as a five point favorite. As a result, you got a pair of teams that they are two of the lesser teams with regards to offensive efficiency in all of college basketball. So, made my total 143. Three is six, 149. Three is six, 150. We had to KD, Texas for the Southland semifinals. Nichols and Texas AM Corpus Christi are going to be doing battle. Corpus Christi finds himself four and a half to five point underdogs. Charles Game is aimed between 146 and, half and 148. Set this. Line at three. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Texas A&M Corpus Christi. With Corpus Christi, what I really like about this team is their big man, Isaac Mushila. Very good, very versatile guy that's able to give you right in the neighborhood about 14 points, nine and a half boards per contest. Guy that stands right around six foot five, six foot six. Shoots about 30% from three point range. Had a relatively rough outing against Houston Baptist in the quarterfinal, but certainly has been able to do a good job all season long. And then you take a look at Terry Amardu. He's able to give you right around four assists, nine and a half points per game, and shoots 43% from three point range. This is a nickel him on the flip side. that They do a good job of having Ty Gordon take over the game. Twenty-one and a half points, 3 assists, you know, 0.5 per contest shoots 37% from 3, but with Nichols they shoot 62.8% at the free-throw line. Texas A&M, Corpus Christi much more sure-handed with that regard. They shoot more around 74% at the Charity Stripe and you've been able to have 12 and a half points per game out of Trevion Tennyson. He's been able to do a solid job shooting right around 38% from 3-point range. A guy that's been able to do a good job will be able to flow the offense a little bit more as well as able to give you a seal per game at Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. They get right around 9 swipes per contest Nichols. They specialize in being able to generate turnovers right around eight steals per game. They have been able to get quite a bit down low as well as you've had Manny Littles be able to give you 9.8 rebounds per game and Reggie Lyons is able to chip in their two blocks. So you do have a little bit of an interior presence with this Nichols team and you've also got Devontae Carter who winds up coming in from Norfolk State. 12 points, 4 boards, 4 assists so he's been able to do a solid job there but I mean with Nichols, your top three scorers all shoot at least 65% or worse at the free line. and Nichols is a team that they do a good job of being able to take care of the ball but I mean, it is a team that they the themselves. Only shoot right around 33.5% from three-point range, so I'm willing to take the points over Texas A&M, Corpus Christi. I do think that you're going to get a relatively high-scoring battle as well. Both of these teams do rank in the top 50 with regards to possessions per game set by a total of 151, so going over and taking the points where we wrap things up with three six 151 one, three six one 152 Southeast Louisiana and New Orleans do battle. Currently, no numbers up on this game, but set New Orleans as a 2.5-point favorite and made by a total one fifty-six 156.5. New Orleans in the top five in all of college basketball with regards to total possessions per game, and ever since their games won, coming on the bending board in the two 2018-19 season. Over two-thirds of their games have gone over their total. That is by far the most out there in all of college basketball Southeast Louisiana. There's certainly no slugs either. They rank in the top 20 with regards to total possessions per game with Southeast Louisiana. This is a team that they're relatively sought out there in the back where Gus Okafor along Keon Clairjo combined for 28.5 points per contest. Okafor ships in their six at boards and a seal half per contest while shooting 34.5% from 3. Joe shoots 36% from 3. Both of these guys combined to shoot about 81% of the free time for Southeast Louisiana. They shoot 36% from 3. of the free-throw line. They generate 8 seals per game, but they also turn the ball over 14 times per contest. You've been able to get quite a bit of something out of Ryan Burker. Ryan's coming in from North Florida. Shoots 42% for 3, 9 points per contest, but for New Orleans, your top two is a very good two. Troy Green along Derek Sandler. They combine to give you 37 points per contest. Both of these guys shoot above 83% of the free-throw line. They combine for 5 assists and nearly 4 seals per contest. Sound low. It is a little bit more touch and go with this team, but Simeon Kirkland has been able to give you right around 5.5 rebounds per game. Has been able to do a solid job recently being able to give this team a little bit more scoring. Does a good job of be able to generate right around a seal per contest as well. Shoots 60% from the floor and then really been able to have Tyson Jackson be able to take over things as well. He's a guy that down low has been able to give you right around 9 points, 4 boards per contest, but has really been able to do a good job recently of be able to give this team a little bit more pop out there in the post. He's been able to give you combined 15 rebounds in the last 3 games. Daniel Saki winds coming in from Valparaiso. has been able to give you 3 assists. A guy that shoots in the mid-30s from 3-point range and it's a New Orleans team that they generate 8 seals per Contest they do a good job of being a rebound by committee, and they've got some of the best depth of any team in this conference. So, New Orleans as a 2.5 point favorite. Also, did want to make my total 156.5. And, and that'll wrap things up. For the Friday edition of Coast to Coast Soup's now part of the VEASAN Family Podcast, big thanks to Jeff Parles. Does a great job over there at a numbers game in the VEASAN Bet Center. He joined me in the last segment. If you like what you're hearing from this fine podcast, Coast to Coast soups you're able to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, and TuneIn. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, whatever you've this podcast, you have one or two ways we will for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at your scorety one. Keep in mind, letters him. they mean it does not matter. So, as per usual, please do send these into the timeline. And the other way is buying an Apple podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, there will fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast five that five star review coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season. And that means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for tuning in.